Operation Red Pill. You know us, just two guys going beyond conspiracy theories, getting right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears with my co-host, Christopher Dean. Let's make it hot. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. Israel, one nation under Rimfan. Is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict solely the result of geopolitical maneuvering and religious disputes, or has all of that been orchestrated by the Illuminati to set up World War III and the ushering in of the Antichrist? We're going to talk about that and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. Gentlemen, everyone from across the podverse, welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we like to take you beyond conspiracy theories and get right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. Now, we've got a lot to discuss today. We need to get into a rather sensitive but very important topic that is occupying the airways, and that, of course, is dealing with the conflict over in the Middle East. But we want to address it from a slightly different perspective. We want to get into things like what happened to the ancient nation of Israel leading up to this conflict and how did the scattered people get reunited in an occupied land? And then finally, what is the cause of the modern day conflict? But before we start unwrapping and unraveling all of that, got to do what we do here. I need everyone put your hands together. Please help me welcome my co-host, the one and only Mr. Christopher Dean. How's it going, bro? Man, it's going pretty good. How you doing, sir? I'm I'm a little bit tired, but you know, outside of that, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Well, that's good. What's got you so tired? Well, funny story. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I run a podcast with my best friend. I've heard about this, man. Apparently, it is a very well-received, in-depth, broadly broadcast podcast. And uh, I'm thinking it's up for an Emmy this year. That's what yeah, I'm it's hearing. not doing bad. Yeah, it's doing good. It's doing good. Yeah. But uh, there was this idea presented, I think, late, real, real late Thursday night. You know, like just a couple of days ago, because we record these on Sundays. And uh, my co-host decided it was a good idea to present an idea for a brand new episode. Despite, you know, the the work and the effort that they had both gone into in, you know, creating the show notes and everything for the upcoming episodes. There's last minute, you know, switcheroozy. What type of crackpotted idea is that? Whoever that guy is, he should be taken out back and... I think rewarded because that sounds like a brilliant idea now that I think about it. But if memory serves me correct, the idea was pitched to him. Something along the lines of text message. Oh, what have we here? Bro, we've got to talk about this Israel thing and most Ricky Tick, bro. It's like super serious, man. That's not what I sound like. You don't know what you sound like in my head. You have no idea. It swings. Oh, it that's runs funny. The gamut on, on different <laughs> tones. And that one was Pierre Surfer White Boy. Okay, that's fair. I mean, okay, it was my idea because I, I've just seen so many arguments break out, you know, over this Israeli-Palestinian conflict stuff that's been going on. And 
I didn't necessarily feel like I had the this a strong enough foundation to like interject and and argue with these people. Not that I want to argue with people, but you know, I just kind of sat back and I was like, you know what, Jason and I should get together and we should we should have a a strong or at least a stance in general. Maybe not strong, but we should have a stance on this thing. You know what? Be being a a very mild mannered individual and not one who seeks to defend himself. Uh, I, I find it uncharacteristic that I must, at this moment, defend myself <laughs> and actually state the fact that I was quite happy when I saw that text come across because I had been thinking about it for about a day or two. Okay. And I thought, okay. you know what? We got too much on our plate. That That is too much of a of an elephant <laughs> to try to tackle. Yeah. And then you shoot the text over and I was like, all right, God, I think we're going to have to do it. I don't know how we're going to do it because this is a behemoth. Yeah. But we did it. We got it done. And um, I think we're able to put together an episode that's going to be really interesting. Yeah. So with all of that said, Christopher, let's go ahead and talk Israel, one nation under RimFan. Bro, we live in a world riddled with conflict. You're either in a war, coming out of a war, or you're preparing for war, right? Yeah. The major political ideologies of our day all seem to focus on conflict. You know, what causes it, how do you deal with it, and hopefully even how to eliminate it. You know, capitalism says private ownership is the key. Communism says it's about collective ownership. In fact, communism actually has a whole sub-study called conflict theory, which it uses to try and explain the tension found in humanity. And the deepest battles seem to be fought between family, intimate friends, prior lovers, and opposing religious followers. In fact, a case study of this reality seems to be right there in the Middle East. We're taught that the tensions we see there are both familial and religious. But the more research that you and I do and the more data points we collect, the more suspicious I am of that narrative, which really has me thinking more sharply about this Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You know, is that whole debacle solely the result of geopolitical maneuverings and religious disputes? Or are we quite possibly witnessing something more sinister, something that could could lead into what some have called the most documented time in human history and others have speculated to be one of our darkest hours. What say ye? Man, that that is a great question. <laughs> very, very well put. Thank you, sir. But uh, before we get into it, uh, this issue today is, is very, very touchy. So I want to get out in front of this and make sure that nobody hears us saying things that we aren't saying. You know what I mean? I think that's good, man. Yeah. So... We are not anti-Semitic. We have no issue with nationalities or ethnic lines of any people group. What we take exception to are the institutions set up by people in positions of power and the ideologies they use to justify them. So we will be talking a lot about the nation of Israel in today's episode, but it's important to note that we are not talking about the lay Jewish peoples, and there is a difference. 
This is an important distinction to make and not just for the Jew. Even here in America, we have a tendency to say, you know, we did something when in fact, what we really mean is that our corrupt government did something. Right. You know, the people of a nation are distinctly different from those who are calling the plays. Now, there are some small amount of people that are in agreement with those things and even less are actually participate in it. Yep. But for instance, like here in America, the American people didn't enact Operation Paperclip and bring Nazis to America. We didn't sexually assault people and give them LSD for MK Ultra. We didn't give uh, African Americans syphilis and watch them die during the Tuskegee experiments. And we didn't bring down the towers of the World Trade Center. Our government did that. So in like manner, the issues that we have today are with those in position of government that act separate from the will, the desire, and even outside of the knowledge of the people that reside in that nation. So Jason, when we're looking at this whole mess, I think it's important to know what Israel is. And for those of us unfortunate enough to be steeped in the Western Christian view, we probably think that we already know the answer to that question. Yeah. You ask that question, I'm going to tell you it's God's chosen people. It's exactly. a nation right over there off the, the coast of, I don't know, somewhere near Spain and all of that, <laughs> near the Mediterranean Sea, right? Yeah, and they're yeah. a little sliver of land about the size of New Jersey. And it was <laughs> promised to God's chosen folks. And they seem to be in constant disputes over this little sliver of land. Right, right. Don't get it. Okay, that, that, that's fair. But the nation that is recognized as Israel today is not the nation of Israel talked about in the Bible. What? Yeah. The nation of Israel today is a secular ethnic recognition under the flag of a pagan god. Yeah, you just got us kicked off the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was almost difficult to say. Like, <laughs> If we were in any way wrapped up in the financial industry and dependent on the international banking cartel, I'm seriously sure we would have just got defunded. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. W I mean, without a doubt. I'm going to be surprised if that's not fact-checked by the time it comes out. Oh, probably. Probably. That's a crazy statement, dude. Yeah, it really is. Especially if you can back it up. Oh, I can. I mean, it's way more provo provocative if it can be backed up. Okay, well, so instead of getting ahead of myself and running all the way to the end, uh, I think we got to go back. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> I know you hate this so much. How far um, back are you going to take us? Like, not not quite 2,000 years. That's all. Dude, That's all. You do realize history was not one of my favorite subjects, right? Well, it should be now. That's only because <laughs> I work backwards. You like to start backwards and work forward. Yeah, the only issue I have with that is that Aleister Crowley taught to talk backwards <laughs> and think backwards. Listen. So I, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. I'm, I'm not navigating <laughs> life backwards, but I, I, for me, it's always a hang up where you got to start way back when, and then hold your interest, hoping that it connects to forward to where you are. Luckily for, for me having you as a co-host, you do, you, you fairly, you do a, a fairly good job of starting backwards and going forwards, you know, and trying to connect the dots. It just, Thanks. as a principle, kind of drives me nuts because it takes me back to history class when I just be like, oh my God, why? 70 AD <laughs> is just like seven decades ago. And they'd be like, uh, no. No, it's a lot longer <laughs> than that. And uh, we're going to have to work on 
everything that happened in between. I'm like, not everything. I just, I just want to go to recess. I don't want to learn <laughs> about everything today. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know, maybe on a different one, I'll try to, I'll try to work it backwards. But for this one, I think we're, we're going to go not from the beginning, but we're going to go forward. If from that makes 70 sense. AD. From 70 AD. All right, man. Balls in your court. But I'm telling you, at any point you start boring me, I'm cutting the recording. Cutting it off right in the middle. We're done. No pressure. You better hold my interest. (laughs) The destruction of the temple. How's that? That's sexy, right? The destruction of the temple. Yeah? Yeah, there's listeners out there like me. There's like, okay, I heard destruction of a temple. That has some action to it. All right. You got my attention for for 30 seconds. Go. I'm part of the Twitter generation. So the destruction of the temple happened in 70 AD is the Roman empire no longer wanted to. T- <laughs> Are you on 1.5 speed? What's going on? Here? He said, I only had 30 seconds. Uh, that's funny. But the Roman empire no longer wanted to tolerate Israel as a state. Okay. Because Israel was under the, um, the control, the occupation of the Roman empire. And they kind of got sick. They had, um, you know, some special privileges and things like that. And they just kind of got sick of dealing with it. So in 69 AD, war made the decision that they they weren't going to tolerate Israel anymore. The temple they destroyed in 70 AD, and the war lasted until the Battle of Masada, which was a three-year siege on Masada that ended with all of the Jews committing suicide instead of becoming Roman slaves. Now, wait a second. You say Masada. Is that like their special forces? No, Masada was a, I believe it was a city on a hill, but it was an actual city, the city of Masada, not the Masad. Oh, Masad. Okay. Phonetic yeah. listening, dude. No, no, it's all right. And uh, for those that are unfamiliar with siege works, because we don't typically deal with that today, what would happen, and th- this was um, the the typical modus operandi, operandi of the Roman Empire, is you'd wake up one day and there would be siege works all the way around your your town or your city. You couldn't trade, you couldn't get food, and they would just, they would wait you out. Instead of having to to actually battle and, and and lose, you know, troops and bloodshed and all of that, they wait till you ate each other or you starved to death or something like that. Three years is a relatively short time for a siege, because what really? had happened was, yeah, because I think the siege on Tyre was like twenty years or something like that. Like it's it's crazy. Jeez. It's a completely different type of warfare. And the siege works on Masada were actually constructed by Jewish slaves. Okay. So if the if the citizens in Masada wanted to fight back against the building of the siege works, they'd have to be killing their own people. Interesting. That's a yeah. clever strategy. It is. It is. And it worked because uh, they let them be, build the siege works. And then, you know, like I said, instead of letting themselves become slaves, they all committed suicide. So by the time the Romans got inside, everybody was dead. Wow. Yeah, absolutely crazy. And then most of the remaining Jews they brought into Rome and were sold into slavery. Okay. And this is interesting because there was still a bunch of wealthy Jews in Rome that were, you know, Roman citizens. So there was a rush to purchase Jews and free them within the empire to gather funds and stuff to try to prevent all of the Jews that got destroyed um, in the war against Israel from from all being slaves. Okay. So this actually led to a, a strange increase in anti-Semitism because there was such a rapid influx of Jews in in the Roman Empire. First as slaves, and then from slaves to Roman citizens all of a sudden because they they had the funding of the the Jewish elite in Rome. Okay, I got you. So then this 
this phase actually kind of left the Jews open to adopt different types of mysticism. So they lost their nation. They lost their temple. So they, they were kind of, kind of looking for an answer, right? Looking for different interpretations of the Bible to still justify their belief system and the lack uh, in their lack of ability to practice it. Is this where Kabbalah comes in? Um, yeah, right about the same, the same type of thing. I don't know exactly when, like, cause we will mention here in a little bit that Jakob Frank was responsible for converting the Rothschilds to the Kabbalah. But what the, the thing that primed the pump for that was the fact was the destruction of the nation and the temple. So this is where like things like the Zohar and other mystics writings were accepted into Judaism and kind of got mixed with the, the Jewish faith and not, not with everyone, probably primarily the ones that are uh, of elite status, right? Anybody else is just trying to, you know, be out there making a living and, and survive. Right. So that, that, that's kind of where this came in. Okay. So Jakob Frank was a follower of Sabbatay Zidi. And he taught that it was actually committing of all the sins instead of um, uh, restraining from sin that would actually usher in the Messiah. So like, like I just said, he converted the Rothschilds to the Kabbalah and then they together worked to institute the Bavarian Illuminati of 1776. That's wild. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. But a separate movement that's about the same time as this is the... Haskalah. The who? The Haskalah. So the Haskalah, often termed as the Jewish Enlightenment. It was an intellectual movement among the Jews of Central and Eastern Europe with a certain influence of those in Western Europe and the Muslim world. So it arose as a kind of a defined ideological worldview during the 1770s, and its last stage ended about 1881 with the rise of Jewish nationalism. Wow. So... Yeah, the Haskalah pursued two complementary aims. It sought to preserve the Jews as a separate, unique collective, and it pushed a set, pushed a set of projects of, of culture and moral renewal, okay. including a revival of Hebrew for use in secular life, which resulted in an increase of Hebrew found in print. So... Like the Hebrew language is supposed to be tied to like the nature and the character of God. Like all of the letters are supposed to represent certain things. So it was really, um, the language itself was just as religious as, as the people. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're like each letter has its own meaning. And then the word is a composite build of those letters, the meanings of the letters to make the meaning of the word. Right. 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 And now most of that would actually point back to God. Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. But in this, you know, quote unquote, enlightenment movement of the, of the Jews, Hebrew was just re reinstituted for secular discussion. So the end the, the meaning of all the words and the letters and all of that, the, the extra content that you got kind of got stripped away and was just used as a language. That's really fascinating because Dan Duvall actually refers to, to Hebrew really, uh, especially from, ancient Hebrew as the living letters of God, like they actually are entities that have um, not just embedded meaning, but they're mm -hmm. connected at a metacosmic level with creation because they come from the creator himself, especially if you're talking about proto uh, Hebrew, like original before the languages were split. 
at, right. at Babel, but even carrying forward from that, it still maintains some of that unique architecture and structure. So to gut all of that for a secularized meaning, man, that's mm-hmm. almost as diabolical as what Lucifer does in the garden when he, I mean, I know we're not talking about that here, but just as a sidebar, like when he's talking to Eve and he hits her with the old, uh, you know, did God say, Uh huh. but he leaves off a important part of the title in Hebrew. Cause you know, normally it was Lord God, which would translate, translate into Jehovah, but it indicates right. the relationship like Jehovah, mm-hmm. like the provider. When he took that off, it was like, did God say he immediately severed the relationship in her mind between her and God? That's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't put those two things together, that his tactics in the garden is similar to the stripping of the relationship of the language here in the 1770s. Yeah, isn't it crazy, though, man? It's like a, a, a subtle attack on God because it, it, it loses so much of, of its inherent meaning and, and richness. Right. It's almost like right. you get stripped from 4K and you're back down to just standard def. Right. And it sounds complicated, but uh, Chuck Missler's taught that if you learn the actual meaning of the original letters in Hebrew, that all you have to do, know is those and you can read 80% of Hebrew text. Right, right. Just by understanding the concept, the concepts embedded in the letters. That's crazy. It is. And he made and they it sound that so away. easy. And I was uh-huh. like, oh, maybe I should learn the, I should learn Hebrew. I still haven't done it. <laughs> Somewhere between Thursday and today, we can also learn Hebrew before we put this episode out. <laughs> I'll see what the problem is. By next Friday, I expect you to be speaking 80% of Hebrew. <laughs> At least read it, right? At exactly. That's interesting. But concurrently, while this was happening, the Jewish Enlightenment strove for an optimal integration of surrounding societies. So practitioners promoted the study of exogenous culture, style, and vernacular, and the adoption of modern values. So exogenous would be like outside of, instead of, um, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Instead of like integrating with. Mm-hmm. You know, part of the idea of this was being separate. We're going to be a culture in this nation, but we're going to maintain our own um, system, kind of. Does that make sense? It does. Were you thinking heterogeneous? No. Why? You, you got stuck a moment ago. You were like, what word was I thinking of? Oh, no. I I, I found it. I mean, I lost it again. <laughs> Integrated. The, the, <laughs> no, the opposite of integrating. Like they, they want to be there and work with people, but they want to maintain their culture. Okay. That was, that was one of the ideas that, that, that came out of this movement. And at the same time, economic production and the taking up of new occupations was pursued. So the Haskalah promoted rationalism, liberalism, freedom of thought, and inquiry, and is largely perceived as the Jewish variant of, like we were saying before, the general age of enlightenment, which it... You know, if you know anything about the Age of Enlightenment, it was the light of Lucifer that fueled a bunch of the things that were birthed from that. That's wild, dude, because first off, anytime I think Age of Enlightenment, I -hmm. think European ideology spreading to the West. I don't think of it as a a spiritual campaign to insert the light of Lucifer on the developing world. I put developing in quotation marks. So I, I don't look at it as going to other cultures. Now it makes me wonder if, if Jewish culture, if you will, um, had 
in their own enlightenment period at about the same time that the European and Western countries had that. Did that not spread maybe to the East? Did that not spread to Southern cultures as well? Was there like an influx of Luciferian light over the planet at that time? Almost like a, a, a campaign against humanity. I don't know. That's interesting. And even tying the, you know, light of Lucifer to the tactics, you know, in the Garden of Eden and the language, like it's crazy how all this stuff kind of lines up and it, it it fits. Yeah. We might need to do some more research on that just to see if other cultures have their own enlightenment period as well. Right. Like worldwide enlightenment. Yeah. That, that would be yeah, fascinating get, to tackle. <laughs> I'll get on that as soon as this let's, episode's let's, done. Let's do that on Saturday. <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah. Right, we're busy right. Wednesday. I mean, Wednesday through Friday. <laughs> and it, it was out of this enlightenment that actually led to Jewish nationalism. So the auto emancipation was a uh, pamphlet written by a German, Russian, Polish, Jewish doctor and activist. <laughs> Good Lord. He's got a lot going yeah, on. A lot going on. Uh, but Leon Pinsker in 1882, and it's considered the founding document of modern Jewish nationalism, especially that of Zionism. So he discussed the origins of anti-Semitism and argued for Jewish self-rule and the development of a Jewish um, national consciousness. So he wrote that Jews would never be the social equals of non-Jews until they had a state of their own. And he called on Jewish leaders to convene and address the problem. In the pamphlet, he describes anti-Jewish attacks as a psychosis, a pathological disorder, and an irrational phobia. This is fascinating. There's such similarity between what's happening here and what's uh -huh. happening in the West with the United States. How do you mean? Well, right here, you're talking about how Jewish nationalism was cultivated by the release of a single pamphlet that actually stoked ideas in the public mind, right? Mm -hmm. The same yeah. thing happened in, in the New World in the United States. Thomas Paine, Common Sense, pamphlet that he wrote actually was responsible for stoking the fires for a revolution amongst the lay, amongst the regular citizens of the United States at, the, at that time. What's blowing my mind is the reality. You know, sometimes you talk to people about what you can do as a person. Mm -hmm. And some people don't feel that equipped to make a change or a mark on humanity. Like, what can I do? Right. I'm just one person. Uh -huh. But the more you study the history our collective history, the more you see these moments where a single person is responsible for a huge change. Right. Which throws the whole idea of what can I do flat on its head. You can do a lot. Right. You actually one person. can. One person can really do a lot. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great it's example crazy. here by this. Uh, <laughs> would you say he was German, Russian, Polish, Jewish? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was just Russian and Polish. Uh, but the okay. pamphlet was written in German. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. You're not going to incriminate <laughs> his parents. I mean, that was a lot going on there. That's funny. That's funny. My mistake. I find it interesting that the need for Jewish, like Jewish national consciousness and having their own nation is it was based off of this idea that you're never going to make it. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem like a very uplifting paper to the Jewish people. You are never going to be an equal to the people that are around you unless we do this thing. You have a problem. And because you have a problem, 
We have to, we have to do this. That's the only way you're going to be treated like a normal person. It's, it, it, it's problematic because on one hand, like when you, you, you said that I immediately identified what it was and I just moved on. No problem. No issue. You just okay. went back and reread it and it's starting to be a little unsettling because there's similarity in language for conflict theory that says okay. that because you are oppressed, you will never be able to have a good life. Mm. Right. So you're right. the victim starting out. And right, you are right. going to have to fight against that conflict in order for you to have any measure or semblance of a quote unquote normal life. That's interesting. And now that I'm I'm rereading it, I'm like, uh, I don't know if I can fully get behind the point. And at first I didn't really have a problem with it. It just okay. goes to show how, how not just clever some of these ideas are but how easy it is to just to get past our evaluation and our thinking, mm-hmm. how quick we can accept ideas. I mean, you and I right. probably strain at a lot more ideas than some of our contemporaries. Uh huh. And even in that, this thing just flew right past me. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how quick that stuff just, just slides in. You're like, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Right. Not bad. I mean, if you don't have a house, I mean, how are you going to be equals with people who do have houses? Mm hmm. You know, you're not because you got the haves and the have nots, which takes us back to conflict theory. Right. Right. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't connect it to conflict theory, man. It's wild, man. We got more work. It is. Keep going. Right. So, so the Jewish nationalism led to Zionism, which is, which is a more specific branch of Jewish nationalism. Now I've heard this term before, like the Zionist and Zionism is happening, um, I'm, I'm, ho- I'm thinking this is probably the same thing, so I'm interested to see where this comes from. Right. So it's a it's a nationalist movement that emerged uh, in the 19th century, and it espouses support for the establishment of a homeland for the Jewish people. Specifically, the thing that's specific about Zionism is it's in Palestine. Okay. Jewish nationalism just says, "Hey, we need a nation." You know, like you said, conflict theory, haves, have-nots, until we have our own nation, we're never going to be treated equal. Zionism raises the bar on that and says, yeah, but not any nation. We have to have Palestine. There's a big question mark right there, because if you're if you're a traditionally educated neophyte like myself, uh huh, you hear Palestine and you're just like, that's a dusty area and a dust bowl. <laughs> right no clue yeah. where palestine is or why uh-huh. it's even significant well it's it's the region that's it roughly corresponds to what the the land of israel in ancient jewish tradition okay so we're talking about so, the land that, that that yahweh allotted to the 12 tribes right okay. it's it's not exactly that but it roughly corresponds to that to that area okay and then um once Israel got established as a state, Zionism became the idea that has to support the development and the protection of Israel. So before it was just, hey, you need Palestine. Now that they have Palestine and it's called Israel, Zionism is moved to a, well, now we have to support the development. We have to support the state of Israel no matter what. So so that's what Zionism is today. So when you turn on... uh television particularly you know let's say christian tv 
and you see mm-hmm. the sign support Israel or or you hear the pastors are saying not only do we have to pray for Israel but we need to really support Israel uh you know can do no wrong type of thing just whatever it is support is yes. are, are you saying that that has its roots in Zionism yes if okay. not is Zionism specifically okay yeah for sure no I don't think that everyone you know, that is saying that from the pulpit or even everyone that's quote unquote supports Israel would claim to be a Zionist, but it fits right in to what Zionism is. You know what I mean? I got you. That's, um, that's really dangerous. It is. And I mean that from the perspective of in today's society that is soundbite driven and has the attention span of about 30 to 45 seconds. I almost lost you right now. You know, <laughs> in in that type of a world when you you feed it a constant stream of thought because th- those people normally don't think for themselves. You get this narrative of or you get a, a platform an opportunity that you can construct a narrative and people are likely to just buy it. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, support Ukraine. I mean, I ain't got no right. problem with Ukraine. It's just, support them. You know, give a few Why dollars. They, they under siege. They they have it, not siege like we were talking about a moment ago, but they're at right. war. Why not? And the next thing you know, a nation of 340 million people are given significant sums. And, and then the government is 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 adding to that significant sum. And next thing you know, you've got millions of dollars going over to a country that's one of the most corrupt regimes on the planet. Mm-hmm. Right? But it yeah. didn't you you weren't setting out to support a corrupt regime. It was just regime. It was just support Ukraine. Right. Well, then the right. same mate metric and the same mechanism seems to work with something like just support Israel. Well, why yeah. not? They're under attack, they're bombarded, they've suffered atrocities. I got no beef with, with Israel. Apparently they're at war. They got no beef either. So let's give them some food and let's support them and right. let, let's help out. And then you're, yeah. you're, you're along the track. You're along for the races and you don't even know it. And it was very simple with just to support. Right. And what uh-huh. you're saying is that seems to fit. That's like a, a car on a track that's built for Zionism. Yes. Yes. That's interesting. That's that's see, that's why I say it's dangerous because you're not going to mm-hmm. think about that while you're cooking dinner. Kids are, you know, chomping at your leg, if depending on the type of kids you got. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, you hear, hey, babe, you hear what's happening with Israel? Nah, well, listen, you don't mind put a few dollars towards support Israel. Yeah, okay, cool. And you're not really thinking about all the stuff we just talked about and right. how that fits within a larger framework. That's That's wild to me. It is. It is. And it, it gets crazier because, you know, all this Zionist movement birthed from the Luciferian infiltration in the the Jewish culture in the 1770s. Well, how do we get from that to Israel as a nation state today? Yes. I want to know. It's, it's fascinating. So a big part of it was the Balfour Declaration. So the Balfour Declaration Declaration if I can speak properly, was a public statement issued by the British government in 1917 during the First World War, announcing its support for the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. So it was announcing their support for Zionism. 
Hmm. Problem was then it was the Ottoman region. It had a small minority of Jews. Okay. Um, the declaration was contained in a letter dated November 2nd, 1917 from the United Kingdom's foreign secretary, Arthur Balfour to Lord Rothschild, a leader of the British Jewish community for transmission to the Zionist Federation of Great Britain and Ireland. So the text of the declaration was then published in the press on the 9th of November, the same year, 1917. What? Yeah, so the entire... British government decided to get on board with Zionism and say, yep, we'll help you get Palestine, which at that time was actually run by the Ottoman Empire. Okay. Now I'm wondering, is that really what happened? And here's why I say that. The Balfour Declaration by by title alone is just Mm -hmm. a declaration. It is. Nobody voted on it. It's not a treaty. Right. There, there's no ratification involved. It almost just seems like a, a, a worthless piece of paper. Uh, it would be if the, if the British government didn't act on it. I, but, uh, no, no, I get that. I'm just wondering if they acted, not necessarily prematurely, but out of pocket. How do you mean? Nobody who voted on the declaration for the government to act. Oh, like a like a rightful move for the government to make? Yeah, I mean, not morally right, but legally right. Legally? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say it was probably out of pocket. It would seem like there's no act of parliament here. Right. It's just we declare. I'm like, I don't care what you declare. I, I need parliament to get behind this so that it's now <laughs> legal. Well, as we saw with COVID, like just declarations from the government carry a lot of weight to some people. Yeah, I mean, like, at least for in our government, like, if you're going to go to war, you can declare war and make a declaration of war, but that requires an act of Congress. You can't just have, yeah. like, our president write a letter to someone else and be like, oh, snap, the United States is at war because he wrote a letter <laughs> called Declaration of War. Yeah, yeah. And if the whole government decided to get behind the president doing that, yeah, they'd be out of pocket legally. That's interesting. Yeah. But anybody who believed it, too, would have been Boo Boo the Fool. Right. Right? Because, I mean, all you've got is just like, a, <laughs> we promise to pay. Yeah, but I don't see a stamp of Congress on this re-promise to pay. Mm-hmm. So I'm not about to go get myself in debt or, in this instance, go to war on your behalf just off of a declaration. But it's interesting that you say that because they had made, not formally, like, um, and, and, and printed in the, the media, but they had also promised France that they could have Palestine, that after the war, if they won over on the Ottoman Empire, that they'd split Palestine with France. So the Brits were just going around whoring out all sorts of promises. Oh, yeah. And they also promised to give Palestine to the Palestinian people if they rebelled against the Ottoman Empire to help to help Brit win, win that, that battle. Okay, I got to stop you because I didn't pay much attention in history class, remember? Uh, short attention span. Okay. The Ottomans. Now, who, who are they? Not 100% sure. You gave me 48 hours to put this episode together. Technically, you asked for this. I didn't give <laughs> it to you. I just, I remember hearing their name. 
They were uh, a long-standing empire. I think like a 1,200-year-old empire. Yeah, weren't they like a Turkish empire? I think so, yeah. Okay. I just don't have a lot of solid information under me, so I don't want to make any false claims. Nope, but I'm going to go back and research that because I, I keep hearing a lot about the Ottoman Empire, but I'm not one really sure who the aughts were. Okay, and, okay. And you know, how wide their empire was. Gotcha. Well, for, for our purposes today, they were enemies of the British crown. Okay. And they occupied Palestine. Okay. So uh, the Brits were like, hey, to help destable the government and, and the, the empire of the Ottomans, if Palestine rebels from the inside, we can attack from the outside and we can topple them. Okay. And to repay the Palestinians for helping them out, we'll give you your own nation state. We'll give you Palestine. Seems and that's, fair. that's ex- yeah, that's exactly what they did. They rebelled against the Ottoman Empire. They helped the Brits win. And uh, there's this issue of the fact that the French and the Jews all think, and the Palestinians all think that they're going to get Israel. Huh. And this happened in 1919. Um, the end of World War One was 1919, I believe. The Balfour Declaration was 1917. Okay. But I think it poses a question. I mean, if, if, if Great Britain is sending out all these promises to other nations, why openly offer it to a different people group? You know what I mean? Because that's going to cause some tension. France is going to be like, whoa, whoa, wait. I thought you said we was going to share it. And the Palestinians looking in are going to be like, hey, wait a minute. We did this thing for you. I thought we were going to share it. But we have to look at the, um, the international bankers that kind of kicked off World War I. So pr- primarily the Rothschild dynasty, right? Okay. The, the Brits were funded by them. So in order to maintain funds and continue to win the war, there was a deal made between the Rothschilds, the international bankers, and the, what were they, the Allied Powers or whatever they were called. Maybe that was World War II. I can't remember. Was it Central Powers? Maybe Central I think Powers. It was Central Powers. I can't, I can't remember. But yeah, so... There was two issues. One, they needed to, to, Great Britain needed the money to keep coming in. And they also wanted the U.S. to join the war, which would guarantee victory. Like at this point, they were like, eh, I don't know if, if, if we're really going to win this thing. You know, we need more money, like Ukraine, but we also need America to jump in. So uh, we have the sinking of the Lusitania was just the thing to guarantee, or at least to push America into the world, into the war. So it was a signal to the U.S. that they actually had a dog in this in this world war. And lots of scholars say that this is what got America's attention and this is what got America interested in joining. So the Lusitan- Lusitania went down about 1915. And finally, America joined World War, the United States joined World War I in April of 1917. Later the same year, once the Jews had made good on their promises, to keep the money coming and get America to join the war, we get the Balfour Declaration that in return for that, they get Palestine as an Israeli nation state. Okay. So for anyone listening, if you want to know more about the sinking of the Lusitania, we did an episode called Troubled Waters, Triggers of Global Cataclysm. And I believe it was episode 45. 
we go into a lot of World War One, World War Two, um, um, Vietnam War. Like it, it was a really interesting episode, but we definitely go into into more detail about the sinking of the Lusitania in that one. But the other issue with the Balfour Declaration is that it undermined the camaraderie between the Germans and the Jews. So this is something I didn't know, and this is pretty interesting, that during World War I, there was a great amount of cohesion amongst the Jews and non-Jew ranks in Germany. Okay. Many of them even relished the idea of war because they thought it would help reinforce this idea of, of manliness and allow Germany to make a name for themselves on the world stage. They all believe there's no distinction between Jew and non-Jew. We're all Germans. We're brothers in arms, right? Right. However, the German surrender uh, of the Treaty of Versailles left many confused and looking for someone to blame. Because I guess Germany didn't actually lose a bunch of battles. So they were all kind of confused on like, what happened that made us give it up? I don't know how accurate that is, but that was the, the mindset of the masses in Germany. We were doing fine. Why did we give up? Okay. So as the Jews gained the promise of a nation state by the enemy, many Germans believed that they had somehow been betrayed by their Jewish brothers. And now this once unified fighting force is kind of getting split down the middle. Does that make sense? Yep. In the back channel dealings of the enemy. Wait, wait, the, wait, wait. The, No. How are they going to no? be upset? At the, at the Jewish people, as though they had something to do with, with what happened. Because the Jewish bankers were part of, one, they were funding the enemy, and two, they were tied to Arthur Balfour for this declaration of the Jews. So specifically, so, we're talking Rothschilds, though, right? Rothschilds, yes. And I'm guessing they're not playing in the background the way they are now? Not so much, no. Because Lord Rothschild was... Uh, what did I say he was? He was the um, he was a leader in the British Jewish community, and which is why they wrote him so he could transmit it to the Zionist Federation of Great Britain and Ireland. So he he was doing things politically, like okay, with his face out, if that makes sense. Yeah, so he's not operating from the shadows like the family does now. Right, right. I got you. Okay, now I can see how there's a, a, a social tie. At yes. first, it didn't seem to make sense. It just seemed like, I mean, how'd you arrive at that? There, There is that. So there's there's a guilty by association thing that's happening here, but I, I looked in, in several different places, and there there's kind of a mystery onto how this, it's called the stab in the back theory. And nobody really knows how it got started, which is, which is very suspicious to me. Like something that's fracturing camaraderie amongst people, groups in a nation, and nobody knows how it starts. That's suspicious. Right. And, you know, considering what we know about propaganda and mass mind control, I think it's, it was absolutely an implanted idea. Because if the Jews in Germany got along great in Germany, they'd have no reason to want to leave. Okay. So... The, one of the ways that this started was cartoons. And cartoons, when they came on the scene, they were all war propaganda. Like that's how we, we have the cartoons that we put in front of our children today because they first came out as war propaganda. And this is where we see the idea of the stab in the back theory enter the scene in Germany. 
there were several cartoons that emerged and they were either like an androgynous caricature of a Jew stabbing a German soldier in the back or Jewish elites with along with who I think is Churchill. Like it's a, it's a cartoon is older cartoon. So I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, but those Jews are stabbing a bunch of Germans, um, German soldiers in the back that are fighting in foxholes. Interesting. We should probably yeah. uh, put this on Instagram so people can see what, what we're talking about. Okay. I can do that. And the, the androgynous one is, uh, I don't even know how to, how to start unpacking that, <laughs> that issue, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah. It's, it's troubling. Cause I'm looking at it now. And as far as a piece of art, it's certainly troubling. I, I think it's a huge insult to a particular people group. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, not just a stabbing in the back, but but then also the fact that you, you've got what looks to be a male with female breasts. Right, right. And I'm not even going to go as far as to suggesting a, a Baphometian connection. Just the fact that it's androgynous is just like, what are you trying to say about their women? Or what are you saying about their men? Right. There's implications, not 100% sure what they are, right. but there's some massively grotesque implications. Yeah, in, whatever in it is, it's cartoons. offensive. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line. Right, exactly. And it was, so, so this kind of drove a wedge in the, in, in the people groups between the, the non-Jew Germans and the, the Jewish Germans. And it was in this crack in the morale that, um, that Hitler was able to kind of gain his, his foothold. Okay. So post-World uh, War I, this is really what gave him the political foothold with the people because I was always right. told that Hitler was looking for a scapegoat. Okay. Like who could we blame this loss on? And somehow it turned sense. to the Jew, but it was never explained like why. Okay. Okay. So, that, so yeah, this is interesting. The, yeah. But then it even gets the, the wedge gets further separated uh, because um, who was it? It was uh, Samuel Untermeyer actually called for a Jewish boycott on all German goods. Okay. And, uh, I've heard his name before. Yeah. I think the Brewers talk a lot about him. They do, which made me, I was really hoping to get a lot more information, but time constraints being what they are, I only got a little bit of information. Okay. But there is a, uh, a newspaper headline from 1933 that reads Judah declares war on Germany. So Hitler rose to power. He got his, what, chancellor of Germany or whatever in 1933. And apparently there was some increased hostility from government forces towards Jews. But the general population wasn't really in a position of hating them. Just there was that fracture of camaraderie. Like, you weren't who we thought you were. You know, there's a little bit of distrust. But it hadn't elevated to hate quite yet, right? Right. So we get this 1933 Judea declares war on Germany and they boycotted German goods. But what this, this didn't affect the military or the government at all. Right. Okay. This, this attack, this war only affected the lay people of Germany. And then Samuel Untermeyer gets on the radio, gets on a radio broadcast and called for a holy war against Germany even saying that the Jews were the aristocrats of the world. So at this point, if you're a non-Jew in Germany and you just fought side by side with, with, you know, your neighbors who were Jews and everything was great, you know, we, 
brothers in arms, right? Ride or die. And right, then, wait right. a minute. Did, did you did you actually betray us? Because I see some stuff going on. Now there's a war against Germans from the Jews. Okay, I'm convinced, right? Now I know for a fact, you stabbed us in the back. You're the reason we lost the war and you're still coming at us. So this is what really stirred a lot of the unrest amongst the ranks against Jews in Germany. Interesting. Yeah, kind of crazy. But what I think is even crazier is Hitler responded to this hostility. And I think you made the statement of something about, let me once more be a prophet, right? And he said, if the international finance Jewry inside and outside Europe should succeed in plunging the nations once more into a world war, the result will be not the Bolshevization of the earth and thereby the victory of Jewry, but instead the annihilation of the Jewish race in Europe. So this, it's kind of interesting coming at this from a neutral perspective, you know, wondering who were the provocateurs, you know what I mean? I mean, Mm -hmm. clearly atrocities are atrocities, but it's interesting to see and kind of understand the social and cultural shifts that had led up to you know, the things that happened in World War II. And without going into a lot of depth into the Nazi motives and the actual goings on, it did provide Israel with some interesting changes. Or more specifically, it provided Jews with some interesting changes on the world stage. Okay, how so? Well, first of them is that not all Jews, like I was saying, not all Jews wanted their own nation. Not all Jews were Zionist. Many were completely content living the lives that they had in different countries. You know, so much so in Germany prior to the end of World War I, like I've been saying, they got along great. These are our people now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. However, the Nazi occupation of these countries forced out Jews who ordinarily wouldn't have wanted to live in their homes or who, who wouldn't have wanted to leave their homes. Sorry. Okay. And it was also the linchpin to convince the Jews and the world as a whole that anti-Semitism was a plague that the Jewish people had to suffer. So it, it just solidified. Any Jews that wanted to stay in the nations were either killed or they were pushed out. And this whole conflict theory-based idea that Jews will never survive due to anti-Semitism, all of that was manifest by Hitler in World War II. Crazy, right? Which is why short, yeah, it is. Which is why shortly after World War II, because World War II ended in 1945, 1948, Israel becomes a nation. There's so much that's happening Uh at this time. So like 1917, this this stuff originally kicks off. That's only four years after the American Rothschilds have been able to establish the, uh, the Federal Reserve. Yes. And I think about a year after that, World War One kicks off. And we've Interesting. got we've got Woodrow Wilson, you know, and and uh uh Churchill and is it it's is it it's not Stalin. Is it Stalin for Russia? I think it is. I'm not sure. Okay. But I think those are the three that are fighting side by side as as allies. Okay. Right, but you just got Woodrow Wilson to put in the federal reserve and shortly after that set up the 13th amendment, which, you know, 
gives us income tax and all that crap, but really right. ties the the American people down financially. All of it's coming from moves from what uh, Hitler was calling the what was it the the Jewish financiers. Yes, yes. They're all coming from that that family, that dynasty, the the Rothschilds, mm-hmm. and then shortly thereafter, we come through World War One, World War Two. We're back at it, and World War Two follows a huge, huge. Uh, matter of fact, both of these wars follow two really big occult workings. Coincidentally okay. enough, um. You've got Aliester Crowley's Amalantra working, which I think took place in 1913. Okay. He coincidentally happens to be a Brit. The year later, you get the start of World War I. All right. And then you have his students trying to reenact his working. And that's when you get the Babylon workings, 1947. Okay. So that would have been right after World War II. When did World War II end? 45. Uh, I thought it ended in 48. No. No, no. Israel uh, becomes a nation in 48. Yes, yes. But World War II, you said so, ended in 45? Yes. That's still crazy. It is. It is. Anyway, we, one of the things that we have to remember is that it's, it was the secular movement of Jewish enlightenment, which focused on things like, you know, we talked about secular Hebrew language and rationalism. Mm-hmm. So- Rationalism, just to, to paint this picture and, and, and tie it all together. Rationalism in philosophy is the epistemological idea that reason is the primary way that one knows what is true. It's in contrast, contrast to faith, tradition, or even sensory experience. So rationalism says that if we says that we're born with reason and anything that has to be taught to us actually varies from what should be known as natural reason. And the elite (laughs) Jews practicing mysticism and what? That flies in the face of so much stuff. It really does. So you have to be taught rationalism. Wait, you do. But I mean, I was really stuck on. So calculus and everything else that you have to be taught in school. That, that's not rational because it has to be taught to us. Right. Your point on rationalism, another point, but then I was, then I jumped to evolution. Yeah. I was like, that, that has to be taught to us. I was like, that's a it's, crazy metric and standard. It really is. And then on the other side of that, you know, you have the, the elite Jews practicing mysticism and pagan practices, right? Babylonian money magic. Right. And where these two move it, movements come alongside each other, um, and a world drenched in anti-Semitism causes Jews nothing but persecution everywhere they go. And uh, it is the, this is the ideological basis for the rationale for establishing Israel as a nation. It's crazy. And, but this isn't what ma- most people think of when they think of the people of Israel, right? We, we see Israeli conflict and Christians are the first to come forward with ideas like, you know, they're God's chosen people. I've seen on social media, there's an Amos 9, 15. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord, your God. Like, so there's this weird idea without taking into consideration what got them there, who they are, 
who recognizes it and who they're fighting against. We're blindly getting behind this idea of God's chosen people from the Bible. And at all costs, they need, you know what? They need to be there. It's, it's kind of crazy. So I think it's important to, while we're looking at this, we need to remember that none of this has been in service to Yahweh. You know, none of that has led to the nation of Israel that we have now. And, and Israel hasn't even been there since 70 AD, to almost 2,000 years. Now, if we take note, the Israelites were only able to maintain habitation of the promised land when they were obedient. This is another important aspect. Okay, explain. So um, a, a good example would be uh, the Israeli captivity of, of 70 years. So this this happened because God told the, the Israelites that they needed to give their land a rest every seven years. They were to, supposed to take that seventh year and it would be the Sabbath year for the land and it was supposed to rest. Seemingly benign commandment, right? Like not, you know, don't kill each other or, or anything like that. It's just farming, right? It, it, it's just <laughs> essentially about farming. Right. But they failed to do this. They went 490 years without giving the land rest. So God's response to this is Babylonian captivity for 70 years. So what's 49 divided by seven? It's 70. God took those years of rest by force. Yo. So we see this. Yes. We see this all the time that obedience is a necessary component to hold the rights to the promised land. Okay. What That's makes wild. it? Yeah, what makes anyone think that Israel has the right to be in the promised land now? I mean, Tel Aviv is the homosexual capital of the world. Why do you know that fact? Seems to be a rather odd metric that you would pay attention to as a married man. Well, you know, um, research. It's just <laughs> little independent research. You know, you stuttered there, man. I, I don't know if I could trust that. It wasn't a strong position. You could at least have said it was a carryover fact from our, our June studies. There you go. It was a carryover fact from our June studies. How's that? Is that a good answer? Did, did I deliver it with a straight face well enough? Oh, you did. You did. That's great. Oh, that's funny. But another idea, though, um, just to, to... I'm not claiming to be a theological expert here, but just looking at the way that the Bible lays this out, I think Christians just giving Israel carte blanche immunity to be there because they say that they're Jews is, is a dangerous game. And if we even look, they're called the children of Israel specifically because the patriarch Jacob, God changed his name to Israel and his 12 children became the tribes of Israel. But there's an, there's an important distinction here in how God relates to Jacob even after changing his name. So, it was a normal practice that as God moved on particular people that were obedient to him, he would change their name. Right. So we have Sarai and Abram became Sarah and Abraham. Typically when this happens though, the name doesn't change. Okay. It doesn't change back. Once God says, this is who you are, that's who they remained. That's not the case with Jacob. So Jacob became Israel and had the children of Israel be the tribes, but depending on how he was functioning would change how God or the Bible relates or recognizes him. If he was in his flesh, if he was doing his own thing, if he was, you know, 
in rebellion to God or being disobedient, guess what? He's Jacob. Okay. If he's doing what he's supposed to and he's being obedient, he's Israel. So that's why in scripture you see that constant fluctuation between the two. Yes. Yes. I always thought they were using Israel as like a nickname. Uh-uh. Interesting. It's almost like if your parent calls you by all three names. You're behind is in trouble. You know you're in trouble. Hold on. That happens in the white community. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, 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 the melanin, melanin deficient. deficient. <laughs> that, that happens over there. Because I, I, I know in the melanin rich community, you get that full government name. You are in some serious trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. It happens over here, too. That's whole. So in the in the same way, Israel's doing his thing. God shows up. He's like, "Hey, Jacob." He's like, "Oh man, he used my rebellious name." <laughs> <laughs> you gonna hit me with my criminal moniker, Lord? <laughs> That's how we rolling today. Uh, yes, we need to check. Right. <laughs> so I think if Christians are going to get behind this idea that. It's a it's the Jews' rightful place, no matter what, to be here. It's just faulty. You know, there's there's a way of going about things. If in fact they are the the direct lineage of Jews, and if in fact this was this is God's appointed time or whatever, um, I I, I don't know. I I just I, I see it going differently. You know what I mean? Because no part of it goes. We need to be in the promised land so we can properly serve our God. It's everyone hates us. We're never going to amount to anything. So give us a nation and we're going to take it from these people. There doesn't seem to be much religion, much um, devotion to God or even biblical framework for any of the changes that have happened on the world stage in regards to Israel. So how would you deal with the fact that like in scripture, Israel took land? It wasn't necessarily just given over to them. There were conquests or things they had to do that didn't look too pretty. Do you think there's a correlation maybe with the fact that there are things they have to do in order to get in land to maybe explain some of the stuff we see happening? How do you mean? Well, like at this point, you were saying there's no real, um, it, it doesn't seem like God's necessarily behind the events or things that are happening for them to mm -hmm. be in the land, right? Yeah. But if you looked at some of the things that happened in the Old Testament for Israel to occupy the ancient lands that were given to them from a secular standpoint, you may not look at that like God's behind that either. Is there any argument then to be made that perhaps Israel having to do some of these things that it doesn't seem like God is behind is really them doing the things they've had to do all along to maintain the land? You mean like, what would my defense of that be? Yeah. Um, well, one, one of the things is that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually glad you asked that question because I was thinking about this. I'm glad because I didn't want to put you on the spot, but the way you raised it, I was like, let me, let me go ahead and throw this. No, it's, it's really interesting. So what, a, what some people don't recognize is that there were actually restrictions to the military force that the, the ancient Israelites could have. Okay. One of, one of them even being the fact that the Kings were not allowed to have horses because horses were a sign of military might. And God said, I am your military might. That's why you ride donkeys. That's why when Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem declaring, I am king, we're like, if you're a king, why didn't you buy a nicer steed? You know what I'm saying? Like, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. This is the worst king I've ever seen in my life. 
Why are you why are you laughing? Okay, the way you just explained that one, I never knew. All right, so it immediately sparked this whole idea. You can't have horses. Like I, I didn't understand why David got in trouble for for counting the army. Number one, right? Okay. Okay. But you just said you can't have horses, which is why you, why you would ride donkeys. Okay, so then I imagined a regiment of Israeli troops <laughs> coming over the hill in donkeys. And somebody like me on the enemy side would crack a joke and be like, look at these jackasses coming over right, the hill. Right, right. Exactly. And then, like, the earth would open up. <laughs> They'd be like, there goes Spears. I guess they God ain't playing. But I'm right. like, that's crazy because you, you wouldn't be threatened by that. Uh-huh. I mean, can you imagine a whole regiment of people coming up? Shh, we got to sneak up on the Persians. And you get over the hill and over here, all of a sudden you hear, nah, nah. you're like, what is that? What is I think that? their horses are broke. Right. What's happening? Oh, uh, here come the Israelis with their donkey regiment. Like, what happens when the cavalry shows up? And it's, it's all the cavalry of donkeys. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never put this together. That's why I was cracking up. Okay. No, that's pretty funny. It was that's a whole bunch funny. of Shrek donkeys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we get done killing the Persians, we're going to have waffles. <laughs> that is a nice boulder. Right. Man, you talk about going left so quick. <laughs> I was right on track with you. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. You made it funny. But yeah, so there's this there's this idea that is as long as Israel is being obedient, and in the will of God, he's going to do the fighting for them. Okay. But that's not what we see today. We see Israel appealing to pagan nations, political powers, money from America, the might of uh, the the British crown. And even what we'll get into here in a minute, the, the elite globalist organization of the United Nations. Okay. They're almost, I don't want to say they're not doing any of the fighting themselves. They have not gained for themselves any of this ground. It's been provided by other nations. And then if you remember, uh, I think we did an episode a little bit ago where we had a clip where, um, was it Bill Mayer? He was asking uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Yahoo, like, how do you guys win war so fast? Because we in America, we, we haven't learned that trick. Yeah. And he said, oh, we have America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Israel, the Jewish people, God is supposed to be their might, not America. So yeah, there's a lot of things along this whole process and who they're appealing to for power and support that just doesn't fit any biblical model whatsoever. Oh, dude, that's fascinating. Well said, man. Thank you. Thank you. And then on top of that, we have the symbol that they put on the flag that represents Israel today. You're talking about the I Star of this, David. Yeah. What's known as the Star of David. It's but weird because I don't see it anywhere in scripture. I don't know how it got uh-huh. that, that moniker. Right. But as soon as it's called the Star of David, you immediately associate a certain level of authenticity, biblical authenticity and credibility to it. But I never saw it anywhere to be emblematic of the nation of Israel. So I don't even know where it came from. Well, well, it, I used to not know. You forced me to do some <laughs> research. Right, right. So there's no actual historic evidence, like you're saying, to suggest that David ever used this symbol for anything. Okay. But you could, you could probably more accurately say that it is the star of Solomon. Ooh. And this is... 
This is a little bit of a problem because old dude married a few too many of them women's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's such a problem. They they do say variety is the spice of life. Uh, I don't think it counts for wives. I think that's probably the key <laughs> place that it's supposed to count. I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah that dude was on something else. And I, I mean right. that literally and figuratively. <laughs> Yo, what do you have like 700 wives and 300 concubines oh something like that or Some the other way, way too much yeah or the other way around do you realize that is a different woman for at least two and a half to three years every day every day every day yeah that's, like, i don't uh, know what you do if you're solomon and you call in on a sick day like that's gonna throw off the royal calendar <laughs> everybody moves down a day the king is sick We'll right. see you on your next appointed time. I mean, in fairness, didn't he say that there was no pleasure that he didn't avail himself to? So we're probably not talking just one a day. Yeah, not but, getting too I mean, no pleasure here. that that might get a little raunchy quickly, and I don't mean just on the male female tip. Oh no, I get that. I yeah. get that, and I'm not. I'm there. There is the exclusive and inclusive terms, you know, to regard like all pleasure or all pleasure. So I don't know, sure. but knowing where Solomon ended up. Yeah. And the fact that a majority of his, or not a majority, but a large group of his wives were pagan, which drew him away to service to Yahweh. When old dude says there was no pleasure, I'm over here going, he said, he said no pleasure he didn't avail himself to. Like he had it all. So I'm not sure where to draw those lines. I, I'm not I sure it was know. all. I, my takeaway was you need to stay away from foreign women because the, the native <laughs> women apparently <laughs> get you nowhere near this. I mean, poor Solomon. He was he was thrown asunder by these foreign women. It, it was, wasn't foreign women. It was pagan women. That's the important thing to take away. Oh, not they were the pagan foreign. Women. It was the pagan part? Yes. Yeah, okay. Tomato, tomato. You're welcome. <laughs> even, <laughs> um, but even Solomon's pagan secrets to this day form the basis for a lot of our secret societies. Now, dude. That's crazy because I remember when we first started getting into some of this study mm -hmm. and I would see Solomon's name attached to stuff. I thought it was just like an attack on on biblical uh, credibility because uh -huh. right? we know who Solomon is. He, we know his pedigree. We know who he comes from. Yeah, he right, had a slip right. up or so. So did his daddy. You know, no big deal. But you're telling me like the lesser keys of Solomon, which is an incredibly important, wicked, esoteric book. You're telling me that was, you know, by the same Solomon of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And then you come Absolutely. to find out there's a gap, so to speak, between I had 300 wives, 700 concubines, whichever way it goes. Uh -huh. And Solomon going through Ecclesiastes, life is pointless and all of that. And then Solomon coming back around to his senses. Nobody talks about what happened in between that time where he was out of his mind, so to speak. Uh -huh. And then came back to his senses. In fact, it was right. so severe that it caused a split in the ancient nation of Israel because God judged Solomon and he said, I'm not going to take the kingdom from you, but it's going to split with your, your sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And that led to the two state of the, the two nation state of Israel, you know, upper or northern Israel and southern Israel. Right. Which got a name change. Northern kingdom became Judah and the southern kingdom was, you know, Israel. And then they had their, their separate fates. Or okay. their separate destinies, if you will. But it all ties back 
to what was happening in this gap. The right. crazy takeaway for me was to realize, no, if Solomon's, the prohibition was not just on, it's not good for a man to have more than one wife, right? Which we get back with David. The real prohibition actually was on the intermarrying because of where the hearts, where, where the hearts of the women were at and where that would take the hearts of the, of the men that were marrying them, right? It wasn't a racial thing if you will. And it wasn't even an ethnicity thing. It was always about spiritual allegiance where right, they were spiritually right. aligned. Mm-hmm. So Solomon getting into this and getting all to that, uh, well, I was going to say foreign tale, but since this is a family show, let me put that <laughs> up a bit, you know, Solomon getting into, um, all of those wives and concubines, they literally, turned his heart and not just a thing like, okay, I don't, I'm, I'm more occupied with women and sex than I am with God. No, 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 no. They literally bought their gods in. And that's where right. he started to worship. He's the one that caused the explosion of the occult. And it's very intriguing that it would be him. It mm-hmm. would, it's intriguing that hidden knowledge would explode on the planet under the man who was given wisdom from God. Right, because then that wisdom is applied to all of these pagan beliefs. Exactly. Yep. And it it, it dovetails off of what God gave him, mm-hmm. right? And he's able to get access to hidden knowledge. He's able to execute some of that uh, and bring that level of understanding and awareness of the spiritual realm into a corrupted universe, if you will into mm-hmm. a corrupted framework and corrupted worldview and begin to really develop these, these religions, which is so, so horrendous. It's such an atrocity, but yeah. at the same time, it's also a, a, a kick in the nads, if you will, for us. How do because you mean? You want to be upset at Solomon and be like, how could you do that? How could you, okay, God, God shows up to you as a wee lad or however old you were. And you're having, you know, you have this conversation with God and he basically tells you, ask of me what you will, anything, I'll grant it. I know what I'm asking. I'm asking (laughs) for three more wishes so I can get the thing covered. (laughs) Right? All all the stuff. What I am not asking for is more wisdom to to guide the people that God cares most about. My heart's not even there. He does that. And God says, yo, yo, not only am I going to grant you that, I'm going to give you all the stuff you didn't ask for. This is where I'm kicking myself in the story. Like, dag nabbit. Well, then I should have gone that way and asked that. And I was going to get everything anyway. I played it wrong. Go ahead. Yeah, kind of. Because I I had that thought for a long time too. So being, being a, a wee lad, I started praying for a lot of wisdom. Like even before I knew what it was I was asking for. And look at I was where like, you are now. But... But there's there's a, a biblical parallel that shows us exactly where our hearts need to be. Not saying that wisdom is a bad thing to ask for, right? Oh, okay. But <sighs> Solomon, even though he asked for wisdom and God's like, oh, that's not a bad thing to ask for. So that's cool. I'll give you wisdom plus riches. No problem. Still, every time Solomon gets referenced after he passed away, it's almost a backhanded, like a, like a jab, right? Like, you know, consider the lilies of the field. Not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. 
However, when we look, so Solomon's desire was for a, um, a gifting of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. Like, give me what I need to rule my people. David's heart's desire was let me dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the way that the Bible references, the way that the Holy Spirit remembers these two is all that crap Solomon had didn't mean anything. And David, despite him screwing up in a big way, that man's a man after my own heart. That's a pretty interesting take. Great. So now there's two kicking the nards. So there's, <laughs> there's that one. And then the one I, I was building up to where you got Solomon asking for all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And God, God gives it to him. And then he takes the very gift he was given and turns it unto satanic use. Yeah. Like, how are you going to do that? The problem is how many of us do that? Yeah. Right. How many times do we take our own minds? I mean, present company included. How many times do I take my own mind or, 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 or you know, the, the, the ability to speak and communicate the humor that I've been given and use mm-hmm. it in ways that do not clearly do not, you know, edify God. Now I'm not going to move as far as to say they're satanic because I'm talking about myself, but you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe for other folk, you take other gift sets that we've been given and we, we employ them not only in ungodly ways or self-centered ways, but some of us even employ them in direct, direct opposition to God mm-hmm. and to what he's, he's deemed as important, what he's deemed as credible, what he's deemed as uh, necessary in the earth. And we work at, at, at juxtaposed positions to that. Here Solomon's doing the same thing and you want to get upset. Like you were the, you were the wisest man. Your father was the most de- devoted man. Mm-hmm. Man, what hope is there for us? Yay, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ showing up and and setting the real example. Right? So uh-huh. important. But getting back to, to this Rim fan thing, I thought it was it was really wild that during the time that Solomon is out and about, if you will, spiritually, that he's also becoming the father of these various occult traditions and lineages. Right, right. And so like- I don't think the thing that I originally thought was attributed to him as an attack is actually mm-hmm. an attack. I think it's a legitimate thing that he came up with or at the very least manipulated and utilized right. in his occult right. works. I would agree. I would agree because we see the Knights Templar which is like the precursor to the Masons. And they all tie back to the secrets of Solomon, Solomon's temple, like all of that, because the man, like you said, with this gifting of wisdom, applied it to all of these pagan ideas. So you could almost say that nobody understood the pagan world and occult rituals better than Solomon. And that's what these institutions are still leeching from. My goodness, it also follows the Old Testament model. Remember when um, uh, who, the prophet Balaam uh-huh. decided he was going to speak out or he got hired by the king that was the enemy of Israel. And he said the, the king wanted him to speak a curse against Israel. And when he went uh-huh. to go do it, he couldn't. So he ended up speaking a blessing. And so the king was like, well, this ain't working. Of one, I want my money back. <laughs> Two, you suck. Right. <laughs> right? 
And so he's like, uh-huh. how, do, how do I defeat the children of Israel? He's like, you're not going to be able to do it that way. You're going to have to do it through women. Yeah. Fascinating. You get the wisest person. And I'm trying to think, like, how does Satan, who was like the wisest angel, if you will, or, or the wise mm-hmm. celestial being, how, how does he get into Israel on a governmental level? Well, you can't curse him. That's not going to work. But you okay. can get them to defeat themselves through women. And so what happens with the king? The king gets turned by women. Interesting. Pagan women. Mm-hmm. Which is so fascinating considering when the nation was being birthed, that was one of the guide, the guidelines, the guardrails that got established. Don't intermarry with these, these foreign kingdoms because they're going to lead you astray. Interesting. And did you know one one of the other things, I mean, just to tie back to other points that we were making, one of the other things that Solomon did in violation to the the statutes of the kings is he bought a bunch of horses. So he's one of the kings of Israel that had large military might because he violated the the statutes of God. I got to make sure to listen to everything you say, because I, I stopped at whore and didn't hear the sizz. I was like, he bought, he bought a <laughs> bunch of whores. What did he do? I mean, probably. Man, this man is spending <laughs> money left and right. So, all of this said about Solomon, it's the star of Solomon, right? Yeah. Not the star of David that's on the Israeli flag. Yeah, that's so six-pointed star. Right. So, what did that star represent? It wasn't Yahweh. It was Rimfan. It's actually a symbol of an ancient deity. So, some people know him as Molech. In Rome, he was known as Saturn, and many scholars have even linked the idea and worship of Saturn to that of Lucifer. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you're telling me Rimfan is is Molech that the children of yes. Israel were sacrificing their children to? Yep. That same God, you're saying, is also Saturn to the Romans? Yes. Shut up. Nope. Nope. Are you serious? That would mean it was Jupiter to the Greeks? Because Possibly, Saturn, yeah. No, Saturn and Jupiter are the same. Okay, okay. So it would have been Jupiter to the Greeks, which is even crazier. I, I mean, I don't want to get off topic. I know we're supposed to be talking to Israel, but now the <laughs> mind's blowing. Because now if Saturn and Jupiter are the same, um, that also ties back to the United States. It ties back to the $1 bill. It ties okay. back to the prophecy on the back of the $1 bill, right? Right, you right. Us, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, the New World it? Order. Yeah, yeah. All of that, you know, the chance, uh, what is it? Not chance, but uh, favors our undertaking. You're like, who yes, favors yes. our undertaking? Mm-hmm. It's Saturn. Right. Right. And Jupiter. Well, if you go back and you look at even uh, Virgil's uh, fourth eclogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of where that was all taken out of. And then, of right. course, the Antichrist being a, a, Apollo. Yeah. And of yeah. course, in, in the Hebrew, it's Apollyon. Mm-hmm. But I would have never tied that because a lot of those are under Greek names. I wouldn't have tied that back to Molech. Right. And the fact that Molech may have even made a, a, a more ancient appearance. I've always wondered why. So Molech was represented as a bull. Okay. Right. If, if I remember yeah. correctly, Molech's represented as a bull oftentimes would have his arms outstretched uh, you would heat up the bull, and when it when it's made into a sacrificial idol, you'd heat up the the bull, and then you would sacrifice the children on the arms, rolling them on the hot arms into the inner chest or belly of the bull. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Okay, I find two things interesting. Number one, I find it interesting that outside of the stock exchange is a bull. I'll leave that alone. Okay. Number two, I find it interesting that when the children of Israel first came out of Egypt, first came out of the occult, and they're Mm -hmm. in the base of Mount Sinai, I believe, and Moses is up there talking with God for 40 days, doing hard work, hard labor, fasting, not eating. I, I can, that's the point where he loses me. But he's up there with God. He gets the tablets, right? He gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down the mountain and sees what the children of Israel are doing. One, they're in a giant orgy, which is a wild sight that I don't want to think about. Secondly, Mm -hmm. they have somehow casted an idol that the priest, you know, Aaron, all helped fashion from the gold that was taken from the children of Israel. But it was a young bull. Okay. It was a calf. The first idol that they make is still of a of a bovine nature, which makes me wonder if it's not Molech that they even were were worshiping at that first offense, and they keep showing up. I think that's crazy. I don't know if they're they're the same, but I still find it fascinating that it's a bull in both both scenarios that they're dealing with a young nation creates its first idol and it's a young bull yeah that's interesting then when it matures the nation matures so as it so as the nation matures so does the idol that they seem to represent that they seem to sacrifice to i think that's absolutely crazy it is crazy oh man you got me (laughs) messed up and all of this is the star of rim fan yeah it's the star of rim fan and we even have this is this is what blew my mind when I was doing research. I think I even called you right after. I was like, "Bro, this thing is nuts." We actually have the Bible mentions Rimfan. And I think we 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 touched on this on a on another episode cuz I know we we referenced this scripture. I think it was our Illuminati architecture episode. Okay. That we, okay. we, we referenced that real quick. Right. I didn't realize the implications of all this. So here, I'll I'll read it to you. It's Luke um, writing in Acts 7.43. It says, you have taken up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God, Rimphan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I, which is God talking, will send you into exile beyond Babylon. So, placing the star of Rimphan on the flag to establish Israel as a nation is a huge smack in the face of God because it was precisely for the worship of Rimphan that God exiled them in the first place. Bro. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. It's insane. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah. God said he would send him to exile for that. And it's the banner now on which the pagan nations today have uh, given the land back to Israel by bloody force. Okay. Now, wait, now I got to pause you here because now you got the mind really spinning. So if putting this star on uh, whatever, whatever banner they were using at the time and worshiping Mm -hmm. Molech was one of the principal reasons that got them exiled, right? Uh Uh-huh. If they haven't repented from that, yeah, which it doesn't seem like if you recreate, if a country's recreating, you put it right back on there, right? That's your same uh-huh. offense. Right. Question is, 
if that group of people have not repented for that sin, then did God release the judgment against them and bring them back? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Right. I mean, it's it literally like saying, you killed your children. I'm going to exile you beyond the borders of Babylon. You, you keep killing your children, but somehow I bring you back. It makes no sense. None it makes at no all. sense at all. Like right. a righteous God would require you to have to deal with that. The nation would have to repent. And mm-hmm. if they repented from it, there's no way you're going to put it back on your national, you know, your, your national flag or, or your borders or your banners or what have you. There's right. no way. Right. Okay, yeah. then. No, but here's here's the kick thing. This is the thing that's going to get us kicked off the air. If God hasn't done that and hasn't bought them back, mm-hmm. then who is in the land of Israel right now? Oh, bro. Right. That's the million dollar question. It is. It is. Whew. I ain't got no answers. You don't want to do the research. I'm asking the questions. Uh, yeah, I did a lot of research on that. I, I think uh, who the, the the actual Jewish people are might need to be a separate episode all by itself. All right. I'm going to let it go. Okay. But it's going okay. to be nipping at me. Because I... I, I mean, we could, we could talk about it a little bit if you want. I think I think the people need to hear it. I think the people okay. are, are itching for it. So, 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 what info do you have? Or do you do you want me to start? You want me to start? Yeah, 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 yeah. You go ahead. You have a trustworthy voice. <laughs> okay. There's so much convoluted information, and it's so polarizing, and it's so buried. It, it, it is it, is real difficult to get a firm understanding of this, but. One of the ideas, it's called the Khazar theory. And what it is, is that, uh, if, if, if I remember all of this correctly, that Jews had migrated out of Rome, right? Destruction of the temple, 73, 70 AD, destruction of Israel, 73 AD. And they move all across, not all across the world, but they moved to other nations. And one of the nations that they moved to would have been the what we know as Germany now. And about the eighth century, like seven seven fifty A.D., they start migrating into the uh, Caucasus region. So there's a, a pagan guy by the name of. Let me see if I have his name here. Um, I might not have it up. Bolin, King Bolin, I think was his name. Might have to double check me on that. Okay. But the the king of the Khazar region, which or the Khazars in the Caucasus region. He was a pagan king. And this is about 750 AD. And he sees the rapid expansion of Islam. He sees the rapid expansion of Christianity. And he sees that, that Jews are moving all over the land. So he, he calls for a, um, like a, a meeting. He brings in some representatives of Israel. He brings in some representatives of Christianity and of Islam. You said and he Christianity has and what? Islam. Sorry. Okay. And they, they have a little powwow. They sit down and, and they're able to describe, you know, their belief system and the faith and all of that. And then he, he decides on um, Judaism. Okay. And then I think by like 
the 10th century, so like a couple hundred years later, apparently these people disappear. Now there is archaeological finds that they had they had decided to um become Jewish and things like that. But then all of a sudden they they just disappear, right? Nobody knows what happens to the the Khazars. Until about 2017, 23 and me found themselves in a little bit of a debacle. What do you mean? Well, a bunch of Jews decided they wanted to trace their lineage back. Okay. And I think it was about 2017, 23 and me was like, oh, come to find out your ancestors were actually from the Khazar region. All right. I'm sure that and doesn't this, sit well. It did not sit well. So it, it suggested that they weren't of the 12 tribes, like the actual blood of God's chosen people. Now, there's people arguing all sides of this. It doesn't matter. There's some people that embrace the Khazar theory because they're like, no, Judaism is not a race. We're a collective of, of culture and a belief system. We're not a race. So, so there's, there's lots of arguments. But the fact that 23andMe selected a bunch, or not selected, discovered that a bunch of Jews could have tied their lineage back to the Khazars, which were pagans that intermingled with Judaism, who had already adopted systems of mysticism in the first place, suggests that maybe they might fall into this, what the Bible says, Jews that say they are, but they aren't, you know? There was such kickback that 23andMe erased all of those reports and sent out an apology that they had even bought in to this uh, Khazarian theory. That Interesting, is right? Wild, yeah. That was about the line that I I, I was going to start uh, going down, and and I mean because you've got Revelation two nine uh, and three nine that that talks about those who say they are Jews but are not and are actually of the synagogue of Satan, mm-hmm. which is a huge. I mean, it's fun. Jesus would not have a podcast, and he definitely wouldn't have a YouTube channel very long. Because you can't say something like that. And I don't even know. It's funny because I don't know if you can hit Jesus with being anti-Semitic. Right. Right. Like, that doesn't he, make a lot of sense. He's Jewish. So I'm only quoting what another Jewish dude said. And the, when you say that they're of the synagogue of Satan, I mean, that's, that is is inflammatory in and of itself. But mm-hmm. the original charge, those who say they are Jews but are not, is also inflammatory. But it's also very provocative. Because right. now there is a a a Jesus substantiated charge that within the borders of ancient Israel are a group of people who claim to be Jewish but are not. How big right. that group is, we don't know from the text. How mm-hmm. how long lasting that was, we don't know from the text. But apparently, there were. And now uh-huh. we have historical record to show where this comes from. And you and I have talked about this on, on prior episodes that now what's synonymous with Jewish is actually Ashkenazi or Khazarian Jews. Right. Which mm-hmm. still points to me the larger question of who not only is in the land now, but if the land is being occupied by non-native residents or by non-native, let me go further and say non Jew, ancient Jewish, meaning mm-hmm. people who do not derive their lineage from the original 12 tribes. Then okay. where are the original 12 tribes? That is a good question. Still 
apparently scattered about beyond Babylon. Now, mm-hmm. there is a an equally provocative theory that those original 12 tribes are strongly constituted of the melanin-rich persuasion. Mm-hmm. And that when you look at not just uh, the Middle East, I mean, of course, we're talking desert area, we're talking a, high, a lot of sunlight, right? Mm-hmm. Tends to darken the skin a bit. Right, right. You know, but but there is in present day, let's say Egypt, there is a, a cast of Egypt that does not make the morning news, so to speak. And it is actually the darker people that you don't okay. see advertised. So the idea of Egypt's um, population being comprised of darker skinned people doesn't seem to fit within a Western mind because of what's constantly advertised. The same mm-hmm. problem is with Africa. Well, number one, Africa is always looked at as a huge country with a bunch of states. Right. And not as a continent with a bunch of countries. Mm-hmm. The second problem is that apparently all of those quote unquote states are very, very poor. And the the population of those states are just buried in poverty because of, well, you know, I mean, they're African. What can you expect? Right, right. And you don't see the wealth like in South Africa you, or in Ghana or in, uh, other places. You don't see the, the, the modernity that has happened. You still mm-hmm. think that they are on dusty roads. You don't realize that it's paved. They have automobiles, electricity. I mean, all the conveniences of, of modern civilization, right? But the way that it's constantly pitched in our minds, the poorest of the poor, maybe mm-hmm. just above the shanty towns of Brazil. Right, right. And that, that's a huge problem in concept. Well, if we take what Scripture is saying, and they were pushed beyond the borders of Babylon, which would pretty much be Middle East, right? Babylon sits in present-day Iraq. Okay. So beyond that, what's fascinating, and uh, we've talked about this on, on other episodes that we've done, hinted mm-hmm. at it. I'm going to hint a little bit more because I'm still doing some personal research. Um, but on some of the ancient maps in, in Africa, you can find that there, there was a region of Africa known as Negro land. And within that was actually one known of, uh, I think it was called, uh, Ju- Judah or just specific tribe of people that claimed to actually be direct descendants from Abraham from from Jacob, part of the original twelve tribes. Okay, that were that's interesting, and they were trafficked within the transatlantic slave trade. And apparently, okay. you can again with like twenty three and Me follow the specific DNA markers. I think there's a a, a hap. I think it's called a hap code, haplo code. Okay. Um, that they all share, and they trace that haplocode back to that specific tribe within the, those borders of Negro land. And this huh. is a phenomenal idea because it actually answers way more questions than it raises. Okay. For instance, if the... If the curses that were put on the children of Israel for disobeying God were applied, it appears that the one group that it seems to be most applied to would actually be the African-American group of people. 
the universal okay. hatred that transpires, the the worshiping of the gods, the being sent to lands far beyond Babylon, places that you that would not take uh, mercy on your old or your young, or your women or your children. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a series of of curses that were applied in uh, what is this Deuteronomy, I believe. And okay. if they did not follow, this would be the thing that uh, that would befall them, and, and, and some other stuff. Be that as it may, even even if we're wrong here, and this is not who were the true uh, Israelites, ancient Israelites of, of Scripture. Mm-hmm. What we'd have to determine, at the very least, is that those who are occupying Israel right now are also not the true descendants of the ancient tribes of Israel. Okay. Which is a huge problem mm-hmm. because then you have to, you have to at least classify or quanti- qualify all the stuff that you think when you hear Israel. Okay. Would you say at least in part? What do you mean? Or, or, or whole wholeheartedly none of them are, or at least in part? Uh, like, to be oh, safe, well, I, I'd say in part, but, but when I say them, I'm, I'm speaking as a majority collective, not as an all absolute. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, owing owing itself right back to what we were talking about with why there was a taking out of the land, why they were exiled. It wasn't for lack of geopolitical might. They were under divine judgment. Right. We don't see where that judgment has been lifted. Okay. Okay. So I'm making the argument. You, you may disagree with me. Um, and you can let me know, but I'm making the argument that the majority, the, the majority of the occupants in modern day Israel today are not of the original 12 tribes because the original 12 tribes are still under divine judgment and cast about to the varying nations and have not been recalled yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I have no problem with that. Good. We'll be canceled Ooh. together. This, this is wonderful. <laughs> we have company. <laughs> yeah, with the information that I have now, I think that works within the framework. I like, it could then, change as I learn things, but yeah, I, I think you made a, a solid case. Well, yeah, thanks, man. Because I mean, I'm right with you. If we learn something new and I have to revise that position, then you know, we, we revise it. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I've gathered so far, the data points we've collected, it's really where it, it's pushed me towards. Which then means, if God isn't bringing, uh the children of Israel into the land, mm-hmm. then this is of what, what is happening now is the result of geopolitical forces or to put it another way, human efforts. Right. Right. And pretty terrible human efforts. If I say so myself, I think the record shows that it it's going pretty high up the hierarchy. What, what do you mean? Well, it started out, uh, we got, we got the star where the people are coming together. They get dispersed. They're dispersed under, um, not, not dispersed, but they're attacked. They're attacked under false claims. This is going back to what you were talking about with German propaganda. Okay. Okay. And then 1948 occurs. Right. The Jew, right. The, not the Jews, but the British empire decides it's going to make good on its, its, its 1917 declaration. Right. And yeah, we're yeah, gonna, for sure. We're going to start putting together this actual nation. They call it back. They formed the nation of Israel. The, it's it's officially recognized by the United States within hours of being officially declared. It's it's crazy, right? But they still had 
Go ahead. They still had this issue, though, that the land was full of Palestinians. Right, we're going to get there. But I was going to say, going up the hierarchy, yeah, yeah. move to the, to the United Nations who backs it. Right, right. The United Nations, which I don't, when I hear that, I don't think a geopolitical entity. I think okay. a spiritual entity first. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So somehow you moved from the United States, which is a huge superpower and player on the world stage, but is also under pagan rule. Mm-hmm. Right? If the if the Jewish nation has its star of Rimfam, the United States is 49 stars worse. Because we've got a flag with 50 pentagrams on it. Right. 50. As if one wasn't yeah. bad enough. 50 uh-huh. pentagrams that are not there by accident. That's not even what a star is. Astrologically speak, at yeah, as, as astrologically, that'd be astrology. Astronomically speaking, okay, uh, a star is a spherical globe or orb of gas, right? It is not mm-hmm. a five pointed object. It's not a pentagram, right? We right. got fifty. We're not even gonna call them stars. We got fifty pentagrams on our flag. Yeah, Israel's only got one hexagram. <laughs> All right, a hexagram is worse than a pentagram from an esoteric perspective. It's it's considered more powerful, if you will. But still, we got fifty pentagrams, right? And that nation, the United States, the one that has fifty pentagrams and has already declared itself to be a pagan nation, no, in no way founded on the Christian religion, and is welcome to all pagan gods. That's the nation that seconds Israel's creation. Hmm. And is fundamental in helping to form the United Nations. So, no, I don't see the United Nations as a political entity. I see it as a spiritual one. Now, you got two powerhouse spiritual entities coming together to establish this thing. Not to mention Great Britain, who was under the rule of the crown. And we could trace where the crown gets its power from. Mm -hmm. Three spiritual powerhouse entities coming together to form this. I don't see the hand of God with that. Right. Right. Me either. Me either. So I got to throw my hands up. I know everybody's mad at me. How you going to say this, Spears? <laughs> hey, this is what we do here on Operation Red Pill. We said at the beginning, we was going to bring you up and deal with some aspect of this occult matrix. Well, here you are. Right. Exactly. We, exactly. we hold true to our word. Mm-hmm. So now to deal with the Palestinian problem. And sorry, before we get into that, quick sidebar. Did you know that the land called Palestine was called that because the Romans were taunting the Jews, the Israelites, because Palestine is actually the Roman derivation of Philistine. I did not know that it was for taunting, but Missler dropped a bomb on me that Philistine, when run through Latin, is Palestania, which is where we get Palestine from. Gotcha. Gotcha. So So, so, yeah, it's still a crazy little history there. Right. So to further irritate the the Jews, the Romans are just like, well, we'll just change the map and we'll name it the land of your enemy instead of Israel. And map changing happens a lot. Uh-huh. That's another problem that we have being downwind here chronologically. Because okay. you, you can get borders drawn any old kind of way real quick. I mm-hmm. mean, look at yeah. our country. Our northern border with Canada is so weird. It doesn't follow any natural borders west of of uh of michigan right it's just a straight line yeah that they just drew on that whatever that parallel uh, parallel is and that was for agreement over with uh with with england at the time 
This is where we separated. Okay. You guys have your country. We'll take Canada. Canada's still under the crown. Interesting. It's it's weird, but it also uh-huh. shows that power players do redraw maps. Right, they do. And the they way do. that a country shows up in present day is not the way it has always been. Right. And that's huge to understand that geopolitical divisions that we memorize. Remember, like, you know, when I had to go to history class in 70 AD? Well, geography <laughs> class was the next boring thing. Right. I don't, well, I mean, I don't, they add. I don't know where Uzbekistan is. I don't even care. <laughs> okay. I, I'm trying to figure out where Ohio is <laughs> in that state up north that you can't mention. I mean, you can't mention with the M. That right. state. Those right. are the only two I know. <laughs> Right, and you got these whole Did, countries over here, and you're assuming everything is the way it's been, and it hasn't. Right. Well, didn't they even add the uh, the Southern Ocean or whatever? Because I remember years ago, I was talking to my nephew, and he was like, "Oh, these are all the oceans," and he listed one, the Southern one. I was like, "That's not an ocean." I've never heard that of the Southern Ocean. I think it's the Southern Ocean. Okay. And I was like, "That's Does it go not, around. That's Antarctica? not real." I don't know. I, I can't remember, but they they did. They added it. I was like, "How do you add an ocean to the world?" Like we don't have enough space, but they just redrew the lines and reclassified a section of the water as is as a different ocean. I was like, "That's that's weird." Well, see, one of the ways that you can control a people group is to pit them against to to use internal rivalries and divisions to to control a group of people, especially if you put them in one group, like one section, one area. So where mm-hmm. warring fraction, factions may be divided and separated, maybe by a natural boundary, like a mountain range or a river or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you really want to control the groups, you put two groups in the same region together. And while they're fighting, they're not fighting you. Right, right. And that, that was one of the things, like a lot of people think that the, the crown and everything was support, they were supporting Zionism, but some of their, uh, I think I mentioned this a little earlier, but some of their motives weren't on the up and up. It's not because they respected the Jews and thought they needed their own nation. They thought by establishing a Jew, a, a, an Israeli state, it would get the Jews out of their own land. Stop bothering us. Go over there. Interesting. Yeah. So, so what you're saying about, you know, cramming people in the same spot so they war against each other and not you, that's interesting because some of that was why they wanted the, the um, Jews to have their own land. My brother-in-law bought me a book one time called 1919, real thick black and white book, started to read a little bit of it, but it basically goes through and details how the, the, the winning powers of World War I re-carved mm-hmm. up the world, particularly the Middle East. Okay. I was like, I didn't know yeah. you could re-carve up something like that because mm-hmm. I was new to the game and right, I was under the right. impression that, Hey, these, these countries are just how they've always been. Mm-hmm. And these powers would actually do that. Hey, what do you want? Which natural resources do you want? Which reason? Okay. We can take this region here. You'll take that region over there. By the way, the native inhabitants are war. You know, you got two, you may have Sunni and you got Sh- Shiite. So let's put them together and they'll fight each other. And by the way, we'll just have Halliburton take over the infrastructure. Don't don't worry about it. This is a hypothetical scenario, by the way. <laughs> you know, and you're able to, to maintain control. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's crazy to think about that. Yeah. yeah. I think, though, we're on the verge of something way more sinister being done here. I think so. I think but so. We'll get to that. Continue. Right. On. We will. You bought my right. attention for another 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, 1948. Now we're going to, we're going to make good, not us, the crown, 
now we're going to make good on our promise to to is to allow allow the Jews to go into Palestine. By the way, sorry, this 1948 Queen Elizabeth, who just died, is now on the throne. Oh, just that's to put into some perspective, point. right? Okay, I yeah. think it was her father that was on the throne during World War One. Okay, and then she takes over and does this. Yeah, I mean, they had some goings on in with in between. I right, think his right, brother right. and somebody, or uh, his son, defected from the throne because he wanted to marry an American woman. And so the brother took over. I think that brother um, married this lady. Something like that. I, I ain't got all the particulars. But, yeah, there's a whole lot going on. But the Queen Elizabeth we know, who just recently passed away, she's over Britain by this point. Interesting. That's crazy. So, yeah, like I said, they need to go there. But the problem is the nation is full of Palestinians. Who Palestinians, by the way, who have been there for about 1,900 years, and there's a few Jews, you know, sprinkled in there, but you know, no big deal. They they seem to get along all right. But in all of the dealings about who would get this part of the world, the Palestinians, you know, the the people that lived there since 73 A.D., they were never consulted. Consulted. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. Instead, they just decided to move them by force. Never discussed, how can we make this work? Do you have some extra land to give up? Nothing like that. Just, hey, nah, they didn't out. do that with the... Ooh, that was going to be bad. They didn't do that with the natives. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they just, they Same just type moved of them thing. off the land. Uh-huh. This seems right. to be an effective strategy. Right. So the Brits invade Palestine in hopes of removing all the people to make way for the Jews. But... They had a little issue because it wasn't as easy as they thought it was going to be, right? Sounds like the war in Afghanistan. Like these people know how to fight and they don't get right. out, they, they don't get out their homeland so easily. Exactly, exactly. So after a short while, you know, Great Britain is exhausted and they just fought two world wars. They were starting this other conflict and go getting beat up a little bit. So they go, you know what? Eh, we're just going to back out. And they, they hand the problem over to someone else. Who is that? The United Nations. <laughs> and conveniently enough, they're, they're relatively new on the block, right? Because the United Nations was actually the second attempt at creating a global control, a con- global control structure. The first after I World think, was War- under Woodrow Wilson, right? Yeah. And the, it was the League of Nations, which just sounds like villains from a comic book, right? Like, you know, if you're going up against the League of Nations, they're all bad guys. Right. Right. <laughs> they're not here to help you. Right. Right. And I think but between the name and uh, the ideals of nationalism being too strong, there's no way for the League of Nations to maintain influence. So it had to get dissolved. But after World War II, things were a bit different. And that's when they formed the UN Charter. So it's relatively small compared to what it is today because in 1945, right after World War II, it only had 51 members. Okay. And only increased to 58 chartered nations in 1948. So this is hardly even a majority of nations in the world to make a declaration of kick these people out and these people get to stay there. There's only 58 nations. Right. Of what it is today. That's that's wild. So it's grown yeah, like there's, four times. Yeah, Almost. what is it, 100 and, 193 yeah. today, something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But when the British abandoned their bloody endeavors to overthrow Palestine, 
they brought in those 58 nations, right? All right, so they bring in the big guns. The big guns. The 58 nations, or 58 chartered countries of the United Nations. And the UN had no qualms to finish this dirty work of Great Britain. None at all. So they sent in armies to attack and overthrow the Palestinians, um, who, you know, just as a reminder, were also promised that they would get this land as well. But, but we don't care about that anymore. And um, still, these people know how to fight, so they, they, they figure out they gotta be a little bit more strategic okay. about it. So in order to destabilize the Palestinian government, Israel and the UN decided to fund a radical group of Palestinians who functioned outside of the governance of the country. Who was that? This group was called Hamas. You're lying. Nope. Nope. Not at all. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. The United States does this crap all the time. All the time. We funded the Contras. We funded ISIS. And almost every time we fund a terrorist group, it comes back to bite us. But we still do it. It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> we'll fund another one to deal with the fact that the other one bit us. Right. Right. It's crazy that they, they fund and prop up these groups. And as long as they operate according to the mainstream agenda, they're all right. Well, when you print money and it doesn't have to be backed by anything, you can fund what you want. Mm -hmm. There's no real cost to it. Right. And the moment these groups divert, all of a sudden they're the worst people in the world. Isn't that what they said with Saddam? Uh-huh. He yeah. was doing all right, but as soon as you... Kuwait? <laughs> Bro, you rolling into <laughs> Kuwait? Ah, man, this dude is the world dictator. He's the worst. He's doing stuff with his peoples. We got to go in and take him out. And didn't he ask first? Like, he asked America. He's he like, hey, permission. this... Right. This is what I want to do. Are you guys cool with it? Yeah, we don't care what you do. Right. Steps over the line. Oh, just kidding. Egg <laughs> on your face. Desert storm. Here we come. Right. Right. And the sad thing is, is that over and over and over, the lay people believe the lie that whoever the spotlight is on is the enemy. That created yeah. boogeyman. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And... For, for those that are unaware, this is the group that Israel is fighting at this very moment. The same group that they funded to take over the land is now who they're fighting to, to try to sustain it or whatever they think is going on. Just to clarify, you said they. Are you saying Israel or the United Nations? It, Israel. Okay. Well, I mean, everybody. I, it seems like everybody's going to get involved here soon. But right now, Israel is fighting specifically Hamas, yeah, the Palestinian extremist group. Who funded Hamas? Israel and the United Nations. They both funded them. Okay. So the the feud between Israel and Hamas is not Hamas is not the only issue that's been plaguing the nation of Israel since its secular inception of 1948. What else is going on? Well, the UN and Israel were successful in removing Palestinians from their land, but the Palestinians never quit fighting. So it's not just this, this particular group. There's been several treaties and agreements made between the two groups over the years. And I've even heard some say that Israel actually gave the land, or at least part of the land, back to the Palestinians. Okay. But that's not, that's not really the whole truth. So yes, over the years, there have been agreements that allow Palestinians back into the land that they were kicked out of. But this isn't any type of like quality of life that any that any one listening to this podcast would tolerate. 
Some would even call it an apartheid. Ooh, dude, that's strong words. It is. It is. Now, when people hear the word apartheid, apartheid, they might immediately think about South, South Africa, right? That's where my mind went. Right. And the policy or the system of segregation and uh, discrimination on uh, grounds of race, grounds of race. And this is actually, this, this blew my mind. This is dictionary.com's definition of apartheid is specifically South Africa. <laughs> I'm like, right. uh, I don't know about that because an apartheid is not limited to South Africa. It's actually an oppressive form of government and it's illegal according to international law. So according to Article 7, Section J of the Rome Statute of International Criminal Court by the United Nations, list an apartheid is an act of crimes against humanity. That's it? And what? Just as an act, I mean, crimes against humanity? Or it's just, it's considered an act of crimes against humanity? Yeah, it's it's on the list of crimes against I humanity. So it's not this thing that's just isolated to... South Africa, it's a concept and an idea that's recognized by, at this point, 193 chartered nations with the UN of something that's illegal to do. Okay. And there's been a bunch of discussions about, you know, the treatment of the Palestinians in, in Israel. So there is no doubt that Hamas is an extremist group, but there have been war crimes committed on both sides of this issue. But we only get the dark side of the Palestinians. We never hear the dark side of what Israel is doing. In fact, this whole thing got kicked off when Biden stated that he had confirmed that Hamas was cutting off the heads of children in Israel. But you know what? You don't have to take my word for it. Thank you for the intensity of your support. It matters. It matters that Americans see what's happening. I mean, I, I, I've been doing this a long time. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. And a lot of the arguments that I heard at work that I was like, Jason, we need to have a stance on this, was rooted in how evil the Palestinians were for chopping off the heads of babies. Like that's how it got interpreted. But -hmm. what a lot of people don't realize is the white house had to later say that neither Mr. Biden nor U S officials have seen images or can even confirm reports of beheaded children. Apparently administration officials said that Biden was actually referring to reports from Israel about what was happening and citing some reports in the media, which are not necessarily reliable sources of information. That's not what he said. That man said he confirmed. Right. He saw and confirmed that it happened. And he also said it matters. It matters. Yes. So yeah. it, it matters that he saw and confirmed. Apparently what he didn't see was unconfirmed. <laughs> right. But yeah. I, I. And then they just put the, oh, we were wrong. Don't listen to what the president said, you know, is, is a little subtext on another article or whatever, and not actually correcting in the minds of the public what is actually going on and what they have knowledge of. It's crazy. It is. 
So let's look at some of the atrocities that Israel has committed even after the 33 massacres committed to push the Palestinians out of the land. After that, let's look at some of the other stuff that's happened. So I found a 2017 article by Human Rights Watch, and they tell us some of this stuff. It's crazy. So they say, whether it's a child imprisoned by military court or shot unjustifiably or a house demolished for lack of an elusive permit or checkpoints where only settlers are allowed to pass, few Palestinians have escaped serious rights abuse during this 50-year occupation, said Sarah Leigh Whiston, Middle East director at Human Rights Watch. Israel today... Try that again. Her, Her name, Leah. What'd I say? Lay. <laughs> you need something to drink. Where's your monster? It's gone. <laughs> Go Bro, I'm struggling. I'm telling I'm going to drink some coffee when we get out of here. So I'll just start over. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. So it says, whether it's a child imprisoned by military court or shot unjustifiably, or a house demolished for lack of an elusive permit, or checkpoints where only settlers are allowed to pass. Few Palestinians have escaped serious rights abuse during the 50-year occupation, said Sarah Leah Whitston, Middle East Director at Human Rights Watch. Israel today maintains an entrenched system of institutionalized discrimination against Palestinians in the occupied territory. Repression that extends far beyond any security rationale. Israeli troops killed over 2,000 Palestinian civilians in the last three Gaza conflicts, 2008 to 2009, 2012, and 2014 alone. Just those three incidents. Many of these attacks mount to violations of international humanitarian law due to a failure to take all feasible precautions to spare civilians, and some amount to war crimes, including targeting of apparent civilian structures. Israeli authorities have since 1967 facilitated the transfer of its citizens to the occupied West Bank, including East Jerusalem, in violation of the Fourth Geneva Convention. In 1967, Israel established two settlements in the West Bank, Kafar Etzion and East Taupoit. By 2017, Israel had established 237 settlements there, housing approximately 580,000 settlers. Israel applies Israeli civil law to settlers, affording them legal protections, rights, and benefits that are not extended to the Palestinians living in the same territory who are subject to the Israeli military law. For the last 25 years, Israel has tightened restrictions on the movement of peoples and goods to and from the Gaza Strip in ways that far exceed any conceivable requirement of Israeli security. Israeli authorities have incarcerated hundreds of thousands of Palestinians since 1967, the majority after trials in military court which have a near 100% conviction rate. And in addition, on average, hundreds every year have been placed in administrative detention based on secret evidence without charge or trial. Some were detained or imprisoned for engaging in nonviolent activism. And since this article was written, there are actually concerns of war crimes committed by Israel in 2019, 2020, 2022, and 2023. Dude. Yeah. You know what this sounds like. 
It sounds just what? like America in Guantanamo Bay. Okay. It's like the same thing that we were doing to you know, enemy combatants under the war on terror. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And if you run this backwards, if, if you look at the United States history and some of the underhanded underground things that they have been involved in, what looks like the war on terror for us might just be atrocities committed on foreign soil to the, to the inhabitants of those places, which means right. they might have right. to a, to a certain degree, legitimate ought with the United States mm-hmm. for Yet, sure being treated as a prisoner of war, you know, and I'm not talking about people who let's say, you know, it, it could be touchy because we view these conflicts from our side. Mm-hmm. So somebody might just hurt me, made that statement. Maybe they served in the military. Maybe they knew someone that served in there. Someone maybe who, who was, you know, injured in their duties overseas or even paid the ultimate price. And you hear me say, you know, these people who did that, you're telling me that they're not evil or not combatants. What I'm saying is that the, the, the scope of conflict is probably much greater than what we get from CNN. And that right. there, there is a larger context that we often are not afforded, as we even see here with this Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And not mm-hmm. being afforded that context actually recolors and classifies our perception. And this is super important, especially when we consider these things happen at a time post-2012 when we were allowed to be propagandized to under the repeal of the Smith-Munt Act. Yes, yes. It's, it's uh-huh. super important to realize that. So, yeah, we're probably not getting the full picture. And unfortunately, powers that be do utilize the sacrifice of our troops and other other great Americans to their own benefit while lying mm-hmm. to us directly. And so I'm right. saying, no, we probably need to get the bigger picture. Yeah. And that's we've hard got to, to do with the corporate controlled media that's biased and compromised. Yes. It is so difficult to, to get the actual information on what's going on. Right. And, and, and looking at the whole Israeli Palestinian conflict, I'm like, why is the, the UN turning a blind eye on all these atrocities? I mean, time and time again, whether, okay, Let's just say pick a side, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's the atrocities done by the Palestinians fighting back because they got kicked out or by the Israeli. I've not seen any action taken that, you know, this has to stop. They just keep like, oh, yeah, that's a war crime. That's a war crime. That's a crime against humanity. Why in the world would they be turning a blind eye unless it's to serve a different agenda? Hmm. Right? Okay. What, what agenda are you alluding to? Well— we know that the first world wars were orchestrated. And again, if you, if anybody's listening, you're interested, we do trouble waters episode 45. And then we go into a lot more depth on just that and how, and how, who was pulling the strings and how it was orchestrated. Uh, but they were also prophesied by Albert Pike, who was the former grandmaster of Scottish Rite Freemasonry, whose body is inconsequentially buried in a mausoleum in Washington, DC. Yeah, he's and, the only Confederate soldier that was born, I mean, buried in D.C. That's crazy. You would think that's not the place for them. <laughs> they were against the Federation. What, right, what are you doing right. up here? Yeah, but he's he's in the, the, what is it, the House of the Temple or whatever there in D.C. Yeah. Well, the disturbing thing about the prophecies of Pike 
is he was accurate about the first two and he prophesied a third one. So he, he said in his letter to Mazzini, which is where we get this information of the, the three world wars prophesied by Pike. He says that the third world, world war must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences caused by the agentur of the Illuminati between the political Zionist and the leaders of the Islamic world. The war must be conducted in such a way that Islam, the Muslim uh, Arabic world, and political Zionism, which is the state of Israel, mutually destroy each other. Meanwhile, the other nations, once more divided on this issue, will be constrained to fight to the point of complete physical, moral, spiritual, and economical exhaustion. We shall unleash the nihilist and the atheist, and we shall provoke a formidable social cataclysm, which in all its horror will show clearly to the nations the effect of absolute atheism, origin of savagery and the most bloody turmoil. Then, <laughs> everywhere, the, the citizens obliged to defend themselves against the world minority of revolutionaries will exterminate those destroyers of civilization. And the multitude disillusioned with Christianity whose deistic spirits will from that moment be without compass or direction, anxious for an idea, but without knowing where to render its adoration, will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer, brought finally out in the public view. This manifestation will result in the general reactionary movement, which will follow the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time. Right? Those are some heavy words. And I can't, every time I've read this for, for the prep of the episode, I keep hearing, um, and the multitude disillusioned with Christianity. And we see that so often, so many different places, like even churches that are converting to this progressive Christianity movement and everyone anxious for an idea, but w without knowing where to go. I mean, so much of this stuff lines up with their tactics and kind of the condition that we see, you know, the posture of the world now. Well, dude, you not only spot on about that, but you, you can't forget that the publisher of the UN is called Lucius Trust. Mm, right. Formerly right. Lucifer Publishing Company. Yeah. And its and the, founder, I was going to say its founder, which is uh, Alice Bailey, uh huh, comes from the same esoteric framework as Albert Pike. Because both of them, I believe, were, were, were adepts of Helena Blavatsky. Okay. And okay. they draw on the same spiritual roots. Like Blavatsky was huge into the Kabbalah. So was mm -hmm. Pike. So was Bailey. Right. Right. It, it comes from the same spiritual root. And here he flat out is saying, all of this is designed to reveal Lucifer. Yeah. How crazy is that? You know what? To a non-biblically minded person, probably insane. But when you run this through scripture, this helps explain a bit of when Revelation talks about all the nations gather for war. Yeah. Like all of them? Aren't mm -hmm. there some peace love? How do you get the Buddhists in there? Like, you're not even <laughs> supposed to have any desire to do anything. They're supposed to be in a state of nirvana. 
Yeah, we just talked everybody? to the Dalai Lama about that, right? What what happened to uh, uh, what is it? Uh, nonviolent resistance. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jesus. I am just I'm not necessarily for you, but I'm not against you either. <laughs> I am pro- I am practicing my floating dog, or whatever they they do with the yoga. I don't do much right. yoga. <laughs> yeah, and we also have to look at the fact that the Rothschilds and international bankers that. F- fomented World War I and World War II are still controlling the world currency. Well, that is all except for Iran and, and North Korea. And I'm sure they'll fall soon. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. They're the only two holdouts left? Yeah, there's not much hope. Not for them. Right. And the Rothschilds are also the ones who helped establish the Bavarian Illuminati, which then il- infiltrated the Freemasonic Lodges, and that's the entity institution from which master mason albert pike made the prophecies about the three world wars it's all connected it's crazy and and, in a quick side note since we're mentioning the illuminati and the part that it plays in here um i haven't had a chance to completely vet this but for anyone that's interested in some some extra information it's super interesting i was recently told that the capital of the illuminati is actually located in kazakhstan all right. it, it, it said, so like um, all the satellite bases are used for machines of war. You know, the, the places that we know, like the mausoleum in DC or, um, you know, London or the Vatican, like these places we, we know are, are, are being used. But the place that they're hiding away is the capital of Kazakhstan. And that's where the actual powers that be um, are hiding out. And it's called Astana. And uh, even if it's not the power center of the Illuminati, the architecture will blow your mind. Anyone that's, that's um, you know, even just a little bit interested or tuned into like the pentagram in DC and the layout of a nation and how it, you know, either channels spiritual, mm-hmm. spiritual energy yeah, yeah. or signals to the spiritual realm that something's going on, man, this place, you've got to look it up. I'll, I'll try to put some pictures together and, and, and put them on social media. Do that, but man, yeah. I want to see it. I haven't had a chance to look this up. Oh, you haven't? No. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely put it together. To help put together an episode. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it's it's if you would have shown me pictures of Astana, I would have guessed it was from a movie and not an actual place in the world today, let alone Kazakhstan, because all I knew about that is that's where Borat's from. Wow. So super, super crazy. Super crazy. But anyway. The same institutions that have the power also laid out their game plan in 1871, funded and set up the groups that have been at each other's throats since 1948 and let this issue fester into what we are seeing today. And as we've said before, this isn't a holy war between Ishmael and Isaac or Jacob and Esau. It has nothing to do with the Bible-based believing people. The moves that are being made are by those who are loyal to Lucifer and utilizing secular institutions to incite war, all while masking it with religious ideologies in order to pit both sides against themselves. It isn't an ancient blood feud as they would have us believe today. The reasons for the occupation of this land on both sides are devoid of any ancestry or religious obligation. If you would take any people group of any ethnicity and any religious affiliation, lie to them, betray them, cram them together, 
by use of force and wash your hands of it, you would see the same type of bloodshed and chaos that is now manifest in the nation state of Israel. Crazy, right? I ain't got the words, man. (laughs) Oh, that was so well said. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. But so it presents this question, right? So we're, we're well into this episode. We've covered the, the issues, the fracturing of cultures in Germany and Jews and how that originated and maybe who, you know, who are the Jews really? Because they might not be the people that are over there now. You know, the, the, the pagan roots of the, the symbols that are used for the nation, the atrocities that are done. So we've talked about all that and it's, it's a lot of information. Right. I'd, I would hate if our listeners got this far and how does do all the work trying to prep for this episode and, and all they were able to hear was this. So to avoid that from happening, so, so we don't just sound crazy. How would you, how would you tie this in? Give some contextual um, support and foundation for this. Like how can we help our listeners um, filter this through the idea of the satanic control matrix? That is a, a, a remarkable question um, and no easy feat. My mind is, <laughs> is still spinning uh, from all of this, but you know, we, we, we have at, at our disposal here um, a, a case study in how to control a populace, right? Mm-hmm. Not just where you move a populace, but how you manipulate a populace and it, it takes a system to do that now you know you mentioned the satanic control matrix anybody listening to us knows that's a, a key aspect of of operation red pill here we're constantly looking at what operational tactics are being deployed throughout that matrix and it utilizes three key areas of control obviously you want to control the individual it's something you want to do if you're a military tactician you, you get boots on the ground, control the person, the individual, and then you want to control groups of people, however large you need to make that. Once you get these groups controlled, and oftentimes that's being done through mind control techniques, such as the propaganda we mentioned earlier and other nefarious means, but you, you funnel these control groups into systems of evil. And the whole idea is to utilize those systems and control groups and compromised individuals so that there is absolute global control that is instituted and yielded to Satan himself. And that's being done in order to take over humanity, to exploit the the, the purpose and position of humanity, but also to funnel humanity towards the final solution. And this is huge because this is what we see going on. We, we see those those tiers, right? We, we see on the individual level, the education that we get about certain areas being compromised, not fully fleshed out and developed, right? We're not getting into the nuts and bolts of these, these various conflicts. We're not explaining the divisions on the map and really what happened and, and things of that nature. Then you see the sector two operations, which would be dealing with the larger control groups and molding the thinking of these groups. So how do we do that? You utilize a a, a, a compromise. Well, you, you utilize an, an, a mesh of different technologies and systems. You, you use the news, you use entertainment. 
you'll use social media, you'll use other technologies to begin to form these narratives that leave an impression in people's minds, right? So if you're on the news and you're seeing footage that's cut a certain way, sometimes it's not even actual footage. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's been lifted. Hey, we, we had a situation recently where footage was lifted to explain a conflict lifted from a video game. You're like, yeah. what sort of journalistic integrity is that? And that's mm-hmm. not to, you know, pour water on real good journalists. That's to say that corporate controlled media is designed not to inform the populace, but to conform the populace. It's designed to not tell you how to think, but to influence what you think so that you're right. thinking along a specific lines. Now, what are those lines? Those lines are ultimately luciferian in nature and this plays into the level the third level of the satanic control matrix which would be funneling these these people and control groups into a system we call that system a world order right now the moves that are being made are to create a new world order and what's the purpose of that new world order? Well, Revelation tells you specifically what it's for. It is to bring about the pre-Diluvian world, the government of Lucifer, so that humanity subjected and in cooperation with Lucifer will be used to fight against Yahweh and specifically Yahweh's divine representative, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. All of this is being done to 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 warrant that conflict. And there are some other interesting dynamics to that. I mean, we didn't even touch on the rebuilding of the temple, which is mm. absolutely necessary. You need this conflict to not only get the world on par with the next move, you also need this conflict so that control can be had over that that region, that contested region of Jerusalem, which is where all three significant monotheistic religions find holy sites there. And mm-hmm. the, one of the most important is actually Judaism, because Judaism is at a crossroads right now. Once, like, as you referenced, bro, in 70 AD, the temple's destroyed, right? Yeah. At that point, Judaism cannot function the way it was designed to function. In fact, Mm -hmm. 20 years later, Council of Yamna in 90 AD, Judaism gets a facelift. It gets an overhaul. And that's where they they restructure Judaism so that they can deal with the biggest obstacle to it, which is they don't have a temple, which means they cannot make sacrifices for the sins of the nation. They need a temple. And the reason this is important is because they reject the eternal sacrificial atonement of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So because of that, they now require a temple. You don't have one. And this is what's being done right now. This is why Donald Trump was was very instrumental in starting to get not starting to get the ball rolling because it was already in the works prior to that. But he Mm -hmm. moved the geopolitical spectrum towards the rebuilding of the temple. He got it more so into the public mind and removed some of the obstacles to that. But why the temple? Well, once Judaism reestablishes a temple, you can move into the events described in Revelation, particularly the abomination of desolation, which is where 
It's recorded in scripture that this happened once before and the timeline was paused, which is very good because it allowed for more Gentiles such as you, you and me to be grafted in and have a chance to accept or reject Jesus Christ's offer for salvation. Hopefully more of us accept it. But what that abomination of desolation is, is where once a temple set up, an idol was put into into the temple and a sacrifice was made. This happened originally with Antiochus Epiphanes. I can't remember, bro, what what the date was on that. I was ready for recess. But <laughs> yeah, I don't remember either. But the rededication of the temple is Hanukkah. That's where that's where it's constantly remembered, correct? Right, right. But there's no temple to dedicate right now. No, there's not. Okay. So this happened before with Antiochus Epiphanes where there was a, an idol that was put up and there was a sacrifice made. Well, now in Revelation, it says this is going to happen again. And But mm-hmm. this time it will be with the Antichrist revealed. And there will right. be a, um, a profane offering made, which will push things along the es- eschatological timeline towards the events yep. recorded in Revelation. This is huge. So the maneuverings we see now are more designed to bring about that end goal while also getting the nations ready for war. Part of getting them ready for war is reducing their national identity, which we see happening. We see national borders being um, infiltrated. We see national sovereignty being compromised through mass integration. They're not integration, but immigration. Immigration, which I think is being weaponized against these countries. Not that immigration is bad, but when you have right. immigration without sufficient assimilation, then you get a imbalance in the cultural stability and you destabilize the culture. It's a way to weaponize the mass influx of people against a native populace. It's a very clever way mm-hmm. to destabilize a culture. But we see that happening. Why? Because Revelation talks about this. Um, I think in the, in the latter parts, I want to say 16, 17, somewhere around there. It talks about the beast system and how there's, there's a, a 10 headed beast that arises, that the Antichrist is, is over. Right. All, all, and it represents all the nations. And it's so interesting to me that right now there are plans. Once this destabilization of nations happens, there are plans to eliminate national boundaries and to reclassify groups of the planet under regions or zones all underneath the U.N. What's very curious to me is that the proposed plan right now consists of 10 regions. Bro, that's crazy. Isn't it crazy, though? Because if these 10 it regions, really is. if they have vice regions over them, then that would be, in my mind, synonymous to the 10 kings that give their power over to the Antichrist. Right. Right. With the approval of the false prophet, which I think is the Pope. Okay. Okay. But with okay. this, my opinion, the false prophet and I'll go as far as to say not just the Pope because that that classifies just to a person I want to say the papacy Mm -hmm. I think the papacy will be used to bring about that false religious leader that authorizes or gives um, credence to to the Antichrist and in conjunction with a political leader 
we haven't seen that political leader on the scene and we haven't seen the the antichrist actually revealed yet i i am of the opinion i think he's already on the planet but that being said okay you're asking me to tie all of us into a satanic control matrix i hope i'm doing a decent job <laughs> you just asked me to do this on the fly um yeah yeah you're doing great you're doing great thank you sir all of that is being used to foment to use albert pike's word this final battle this is where all the planet is being moved to it's about mm -hmm. reinstituting luciferian reign over this planet that's why i find it so remarkable that even albert pike was bold enough to say this is all about the light of lucifer that's what the enlightenment period was about was the light of lucifer that was what the enlightenment period over over uh israel was about all of this is about mm -hmm. bringing the false light of lucifer to bear in conflict and in conjunction against the light of christ remember when christ came into this world he was that divine light he passed that off to the church and the church is, has been under an increasing shadow and pressure to hide their light to, in order to conform to social political pressures. Mm -hmm. What were you about to say? I, I was going to say, I just thought, because I don't, I don't want people to hear, you know, we're claiming that World War Three, you know, we are, we are absolutely 100% on the precipice of World War Three. That's not what we're saying at all. Because like we mentioned um, the sinking of the, the Lusitania to start World War One. In that episode, in that episode, Troubled Waters, we also talked about the attempted sinking of the USS Liberty. And this is this is what a lot of people believe was their attempt to enact World War III, according to Albert Pike's prophecy, the first time. And there was divine intervention. Like this one vessel had a 40-foot hole in it and over 5,000 rounds through the boat, and it didn't sink. So it doesn't mean that we're saying for sure that this is going to happen. We're saying these are the pieces. This is the intention of the powers that are um, in control. It's the, it's the ultimate aim that this is what they want to make happen. Whether or not World War III breaks out from this current Israeli-Palestinian conflict or not, it doesn't change anything that we've talked about or the ultimate goal of the enemy. Right, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're not trying to set any dates, but what we are saying is 30,000 foot view look at the pieces that are being yes. put in place none of this is right is, exactly when this stuff manifests it's going to have to manifest because pieces were put in play and most of the time when those pieces are being moved most people don't notice it so what we're saying is notice the pieces now yes. what the timetable is that's out of our hands that, that that's straight in god's hands but god even tells his his body be aware of the times that you live in Note yep. what is happening around you. See, if you see something like President Trump doing what he did, pay attention to that. You know, when when you uh -huh. see the the biomedical field um, releasing products that 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 are questionable at best and have a platform to be quite nefarious at worst and are quite possibly taken from what we can test to be Nephilim DNA notice what's going on when you see a constant increase in the nephilim agenda which is designed to to blend humanity with non-human entities including synthetic entities such as machines pay attention when you see companies that are starting to talk about you know machine brain interfacing or talking about the fact that we can manipulate your dna 
or talking about, hey, take this this particular DNA modifying solution and uh, Mm -hmm. it'll help make you better. Pay attention. When you see these wars, it's not about fear. It's about understanding what is happening. Geopolitical moves are not should not be to a Christian or somebody who is a serious follower of Christ and is placing their faith in him. They should not be fear inducing. They should be alarming because they should indicate, hey, time is getting short. But what good does that do? Just because, you know, time's getting short. What do you do for a serious follower of Christ? It should sharpen our perspective. Mm -hmm. And that perspective should be one. Our book is true. Two, the claims in that book are true. And three, we need to share that with more people. Because time is getting short. Christopher, there's people listening. They may not really believe what I'm saying. Time's getting short. Heard that all before. Woogity boogity, right? Mm -hmm. Even secular scientists are recognizing and admitting that time is speeding up. This is what we mean by getting short. (laughs) Things are happening faster. A year does not feel like a year used to. Even mm-hmm. our, or even our, our, um, our solar day is shorter. Yep. Time is getting shorter. It's speeding up <laughs> towards the final conclusion. So, are we saying be afraid? No. We are saying be sober-minded. Realize the right. time that you are in, and this you have to take talking about this with people talking about the bible talking about the biblical perspective on the affairs of man and the things that are happening today more serious you cannot 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 allow yourself to have your mind raped and pillaged by the standard narrative the global elites own the media flat down sorry mm-hmm. vanguard blackrock state street all Rothschild cutouts, they own the media. So when you're getting your your mindset formed by mainstream media, you're setting yourself up for the okie doke. You're setting yourself up for failure. You cannot allow that to happen. You have to get a biblical view of things. It is the only way to stay sober minded in all of this and to not succumb to fear. Right, right. That's all I got, bro. That's all you got? That's all I got. Because here's the deal, man. If a person hasn't heard me so far and hasn't really taken what 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 I just said and what you said for the last mm-hmm. two and a half some odd hours, yeah. Then as far as I'm concerned, they got their head in the sand. And they're not doing any they're not doing anybody any good. Because that type of person really walks around thinking like, yo, I'm safe and Wapakoneta. And the real deal is. You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. Out there beyond that fence, every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You got to obey the rules. Man, if there's ever an episode that we've done that requires strong mental aptitude, 
it's this one. <laughs> it's so fueled with emotion and 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 misinformation and disinformation and a lack of information. Like it's 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 a tough one. Yeah, you're spot on, dude. And 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 that's why we've got to follow the rules. Rule number one is you've got to know your war doctrine, especially because so many people are using the Bible to try to justify or condemn whichever what is going on. So you've got to know how to use it. You've got to know what it actually says. So scripture tells us that broad is the way that leads to destruction. Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. And, and, and when you, when I hear this, like, I just look at so many people up in arms and there's, there's so much division and there's, and we're talking about broad is the way, like there's so many people that are funneled into a preset opinion and ideology and, and even an action plan about the things that, that we're looking at, you know, it's very much the Hegelian dialectic mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's important to not give into that. So anytime you find yourself like on the side of the majority or whatever, doesn't mean that you're, that you're wrong, but we have to take a moment, especially in a touchy situation like this. And especially because so many people are just running headlong into a particular idea. We've got to take a moment and go, is this really the right stance to take? Is this, is this the right way to look at this? Cause ultimately what we want is we want, to take on the mind of Christ. What does what does Jesus Christ, what does the creator of the universe see when he looks at Israel and Palestine now? That's ultimately what we're trying to achieve. Dude, I love that. I love Thanks. that, man. I mean, that that really echoes that sentiment that we are only as correct as to the degree that we've achieved harmony with the way Jesus sees things. Right. Right. If if we haven't it, achieved harmony with that, then we have a degree of incorrectness or error that's present mm-hmm. in our view that needs to be eradicated. Right. Yep. 100%. Scripture also warns us that we reap what we sow. Galatians mm. 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So the whole God is not mocked section is really what jumped out to me coming to the realization that the star of rim fan is on the flag of Israel. I was mm. like, Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, whatever man sows that he's going to reap. I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. You know what I mean? Uh, not if what I'm sowing is bad. Right. If right. What I'm sowing well, I meant good, specifically though. with yeah. the star of rim fan. Thing. Oh yeah. yeah not yeah, saying, yeah. not saying if you support Israel that you're, going to suffer the judgment of God. That's not what I'm saying. Whoever the elites were that selected this symbol to right. represent the unifying of a pagan recognized nation is mocking God. And, and he don't play like it's that. It's like so bad. You're like, how'd you pick it? Out of all the esoteric symbols you could have had, a scene, <laughs> I, you know, a triangle. Right. You could have had right. some of these, you know, a, uh, an aborealis, you know, a snake eating itself. You could have mm-hmm. had all of these Anything. things. What would make you pick a hexagram? 
I don't know. <laughs> we we kind of took a vote. We went around the table, and it really seemed like the smartest move. You know, we put it. <laughs> we we took a Gallup poll, and we said, "Hey guys, listen, esoteric folk, what would you like to see?" And they were like, "You know what's been missing? A hexagram." And we were like, "The people want hexes. That's what they want. We got to give them a hexagram." <laughs> it polled well. Yeah, it makes me wonder, and I don't have all of the flags of all the nations in front of me. Yeah. Is it the only flag of current nations that has this particular symbol on it? I think so. I mean, like you, I don't I don't, I don't have them crazy. all out, but I just from memory, it's the right. only one that I, I can recall seeing a hexagram on. Right. I mean, not even the other hexagram. Like not not even the, you know, six-sided shape. Right, like, like the, right. the what they call hexagon, not even mm-hmm. hexagon. You see this, and you're like, oh, this this is saying something. You know, yeah. two inverted for people who wonder because we never we didn't explain this. the The star of Remphem is actually a combination of two triangles one, uh, one one one. How do I describe this? Upward facing, one downward facing. Thank you. I was stuck on inverted and then I couldn't get the opposite. I was like, preverted? That's not the opposite of inverted. <laughs> I was like, what is it? So That's thank funny. you. Yeah, my mind got yeah. stuck. But it, it's two uh, triangles, one upside up and the other upside down that are superimposed on one another. And what those represent, one represents the the male or masculine energy. The other represents the feminine energy. But on top of that, or embedded within that one represents Lucifer and the other represents Satan. And these put together Mm. are supposed to form divine balance between the masculine and feminine. It's a esoteric idea that you constantly see like fire and ice or male, female, or when you put them together, this Baphomet type creature it's a very, right. very esoteric uh, symbol that has a high Which, degree of, of um, I don't want to say energy, but from a satanic perspective, it's endued with not just a lot of meaning, but a lot of power. Just like a, a pentagram has a certain amount of power in it from the, mm-hmm. that, that it's infused from the spiritual world. Hexagrams are of an order of magnitude even more powerful than pentagrams. And what's curious to me, just a little fun fact. We were talking earlier in the episode, bro, about how Rimfam represents Molech and Molech, uh-huh. Jupiter and Jupiter, Saturn. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't, we didn't go in that exact order, but for the sake of the argument. Right, right, right. Take. I think it's uh-huh. fascinating. I believe it's the southern pole of the planet Saturn. There is a storm. That is ever present. That is the shape of a hexagon. Really? On the planet Saturn. The one that represents Molech, which represents Satan. That's crazy. Fascinating. If it's not the Southern Pole, then it's the North Pole. I I can't remember. That's nuts. I had no idea of that. Fun fact. Man, that's crazy. All all of this stuff ties together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I'm right with you, dude. God's not mocked. There are right. going to be serious repercussions for this decision. Yes, for sure. Especially for sure. using the name of his chosen people that he came 
that he originally came to. And scripture says he's coming back for a people. Not uh-huh. just the, the church, but the people who were wronged and, and displaced. He's coming back. I would not want to be on the receiving end of the country that decided to 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 uh, make use of that identity for nefarious purposes. Right. Right. That's going to be yeah, tragic. It's not, yeah, it's not going to be pretty. But there's another thing that I found when I was looking at scripture. And I think scripture anticipates that the parasite class has actually made deals with the devil. Ooh, this sounds fun. Talk to me. Yeah, you have, you have to tell me what you think. So I have Isaiah 28, 14 through 15. It says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us for we have made lies our refuge and under falsehood, we have hidden ourselves. Does that not sound like the ruling elites have made deal? I mean, you make making a covenant with death and Sheol. I mean, right? Yeah. That's pretty crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. I had no idea that. Scripture even referenced this this kind of relationship between ruling classes and making deals with the devil. But I was like, it's right here. You know, That's I think nuts. one of the other places that it actually references the ruling class that we don't catch up on is in Revelation when it talks about the 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 fact that there will be so much calamity and chaos going on that that certain groups of people will hide in the mountains and will cry out to have the rocks fall on them. Now, I'm thinking if there's so much calamity that you need to escape, typically poor people are not afforded an avenue of refuge. Right. So it'd be dumbs, right? Uh, dumbs or exactly or, or something deep within the mountain, if, if not down, then deep within. But still, that's going to mm-hmm. require a lot of money and technology. Typically, that's reserved for rich people. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't made that connection. Yeah, I, I think that's another one that's talking about it. Okay. Okay. Crazy stuff. That's nuts. Yeah. But yeah, I I think you uh, talking about being underground. It's interesting to look at this and, 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 and to realize how the nations are constantly, you know, we talked about redrawing the maps and all of that, but God won't be mocked. And eventually the, no ground is going to be safe. But in the midterm or in the interim, we have to be aware of the ground that we stand on and not to seed that in the seed any of that over to the enemy, which takes us to rule number two. Exactly. But see, in this day and age, dude, that's getting increasingly harder to do. Because mm-hmm. you, you have to have in order to combat an enemy, you have to have an awareness of that enemy. And unfortunately, we're dealing with not just a single interdimensional being but we're dealing with an entire army of interdimensional beings that all seem to operate behind a a cloak of stealth right they've convinced people Mm -hmm. they don't exist they've convinced people that they're not pulling the strings behind the scene they've convinced people that they are of no effect in the affairs of men because they don't exist and because they're not pulling the strings. So how do you fight that enemy? How do you find an enemy that you're convinced doesn't exist is ineffective 
and is not involved in nefarious activity. You have to utilize technology that reveals their existence and their works. Where do you get that? You get that in scripture. How do we know that? Because scripture itself says that the very reason Jesus was revealed, why he came, was to destroy the works of the enemy. But the only way you're going to find out that that enemy exists is when you use the discernment that's offered in scripture that allows you to see him. says seriously and expose the works of our enemy, resist his efforts and destroy what he is trying to do. But if you're going to do that, you're going to have to start praying like it's all up to God and working like it's all up to you. And that's the third rule of engagement. Christopher, what are some things we should be praying for? Well, I'm thinking that the first thing that we really need to pray for is the victims of these atrocities on either side. I think that's good. Because they, yeah, they get there's overlooked. a real They do. They do. Yeah, and it it I mean the the loss of life is real and measurable. So despite whose agendas are where, like the the cost is high and we need to appreciate that. Dude, I, I think that's so so keen because it's not just the fact that they get overlooked and it's not just the fact that the cost of life as you put it is high which it is but it's the heart of the god that we serve Mm -hmm. he cares about right those that have been victimized by these atrocities on both sides yes Yes. On both sides, Absolutely. he cares. And if we're going to reflect that heart, we have to care too. And I think you're spot on. Praying for those victims is, is, an, is, is a wonderful way to start to demonstrate, foster that heart, but also demonstrate that care. Right, right. Thank you. I think that we also need to pray for the understanding in what and how these things are playing out. What do you mean? There's, well, there's so much, it's not just, sorry, it's not just confusion and censorship in the physical. There's also spiritual forces that are at work to censor 
and to confuse. So I think if that's the case, then we need spiritual forces on our side to help us understand what's going on, see what it is, and keep us grounded in truth. Gotcha. I agree. The other thing that I think that we need to pray for is for the willpower to resist the draw to one side or another, to have to fit into the boxes that they give us, you know, the false dichotomy or whatever. It's going to be difficult. And if not in this case, in another case, they set up these boxes to funnel people into. And if there are spirits behind what they're doing, then we need the Holy Spirit to help us resist getting channeled into those things. You know what, dude, again, spot on. I, I think if I could add one thing uh, to this, I would say, I think one of the other things we need to do is, is really repent for a lack of caring enough about these things that we hear about that, that, that we didn't want to search them out and find out really what was true, but also uh-huh. for allowing ourselves to be funneled into a, a myopic view of we're right, they're wrong. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and right. allowing ourselves to then be conditioned by a media narrative that we know is out of alignment with the scriptural narrative. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think good. that's so vital because it, it happens so, so frequently. And I think we need to not only repent, but with that repentance comes, we got to start putting things in action to change that view, to, to change mm-hmm. that habit. Which I think takes us right into work, man. What are some things that you think we could be working on? Well, just like prayer, I think we got to resist that draw to pick a side without having the information. But with that, we have the responsibility to truth. We must ensure that we know in lieu of just being told. There's a difference. Just because you're told doesn't mean you know. You know, you know uh, hold, so hold, we've, don't, don't, don't you dare go past that. Say that one more time. Just because you're told doesn't mean you know. <laughs> that's that's dope. That you that's a shirt. <laughs> okay. That's a shirt. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad, would it? No, that's, that's a great. shirt, dude. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll get working on it. Oh man, dude, that that's a heck of a statement. so with that we've put together some resources for the episode you know that can help you look at it but that that includes us just because operation red pill told you doesn't mean you know like less of a shirt i don't like that them socks (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying there's there's personal responsibility to you know find this stuff out yeah um the other thing and it's kind of a two 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 parter is we have to guard our emotions in regards to the manipulate manipulative tactics that they use in the media, right? And and I would just now have the thought, scripture tells us that where your money goes, your heart will go also. Okay. So as as they're asking for funding, because why do international bankers need more money? They don't. What are you giving that is of benefit to them? Your heart, where your treasure goes, your heart goes. It would be very difficult to fund Israel or Ukraine and not have sentiments attached to that. Dude, and, and that's oh. not. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You're. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What you just witnessed was a mind explosion. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. The words, yeah, everything messed up. I got to re-get the, the cognitive cortex together. <laughs> All uh, right. Okay. You, you said where your money goes, so your heart goes, right? Mm-hmm. And my mind immediately went to an episode that Dan Duvall did on the Rothschild banking cartel. And he talked okay. about how in the in the um, metacosmic dimension, if you will, or the spiritual plane or second heaven, however you would like uh, to define it, that right outside of our physical boundary for our planet exists a, a council of the Rothschild banking cartel council in a, in a spiritual world that is responsible for taking resources that people have that are locked into this system and redirecting it towards their aims and towards things that they want. And if where your money goes determines your heart affections, it also determines your allegiance from a spiritual perspective. Mm -hmm. So if you're giving to a nefarious operation and project, even unawares, there's still a declaration that's made that I'm in cooperation and agreement with this. Mm -hmm. So now things that are supposed to come to me, I've also allowed a part of me to be linked into this. That means spiritual resources that were coming to me can also go to this, or in other words, they can hijack resources. It also means legally there's a case to be made against the occupants of the earth. See, when there's a, when there's a, a, a large scale class action suit of injustice that's being bought before the throne of God to say this is wrong, there's a counter argument to say, what do you mean? The people are in agreement with this. Look where they gave their money. Mm. Okay. What do you yeah. mean violated? Look at how many people supported this. If we just go off of numbers alone, we're pushing majority. We're over 50%. I mean, come on, guys. Right. Majority rules here. <sighs> it's yeah. a major, major thing in a, in a spiritual world. Major. Yeah. That's crazy. Which means we can't be, you can't be swept by, we were talking about this earlier, you can't be swept by the narrative. Right. You can't exactly. allow yourself to be, you know, support this country, support that country, and you, you go along with it, hook, line, and sinker. You have to understand really what's being asked and what's being given. Not to mention the third thing that I left off, if you, where your money goes, your heart goes, that indicates a trade. Interesting. If Lucifer yeah. is skilled at making trades, it, I am now starting to pay attention to what type of trades I make. Things right. I never consider to be a trade. Just because I don't consider it that does not mean that the spiritual world above me doesn't consider it to be that way. Exactly. It's kind of like, I don't think going one mile at over speed limit is a big deal. But the, the, the reigning and presiding governmental body or jurisdiction I'm in above me does think one mile and over is a big deal. <laughs> It yeah. qualifies me as breaking the law. It means I am now subjected to certain, you know, uh, uh, consequences. Punitive measures. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. And I think the same is true spiritually. We can't just write mm -hmm. it off and say, because to us, it doesn't mean that much that somehow it's not super significant in the spiritual world. I think it is. I think you hit on something so big with that, that statement there, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the other thing I was thinking that we could do or that you could do for work if you're if you're trying to sort this out a little bit, it might work, it might not, but it's just an idea. If you remove the names Israel and Palestine, 
from from the idea of the conflict because there's so much attached because there's so much backlog. I mean, most of us have not been around since before the creation of Israel's estate, right? So we, <laughs> yeah. So so we've we've only been alive in the midst of this type of uh, global psyop. Mm-hmm. So it might just help to to change a percept to to help neutralize. I don't want to say that. Um, to help remove the bias, the implanted bias of the situation, if you if you try to env- envision it without those particular titles, you, you said might on help, another might not, episode, but just, just a tool. You said on another episode something uh, you quoted from 1984, which is talking about Eurasia had always been at war with another another place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think this is what you just hit on is 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 almost synonymous with that because you're born mid issue. You think this issue has always been this way as long as you've known it. And that's right, not right. necessarily the truth. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Because that was one of the other things that kept coming up in arguments. Okay. They're like, these people, groups have been killing themselves for thousands and thousands of years. And that's not really been the case. Right. Like the Ottoman Empire reigned over Palestine and most of the Jews had moved somewhere else for at least 1900 years. But we're so we're we're born into the darkness, not to borrow a term from from Batman. But yeah, so we we just have this idea for for fifty million years. Israel has been in war with Palestine. You know what I mean? Earth hasn't even that been around a- that long. But from the time <laughs> of the dinosaurs, the Israelis and the Palestinians was fighting one another's. That's a good point, bro. Thanks for that. Yeah, it, it's a wild idea, man. You know, what we forgot to mention. Believe it or not, was. What <laughs> we were talking about the Ottoman Empire and how a lot of this led to World War One, right? Uh huh. We forgot to mention that the Ottoman Empire, with the killing of Franz Ferdinand and all of that, was had nothing to do with what we were told. It had everything to do with the fact that the Ottomans had refused to allow the Illuminati into their borders, and it actually resisted their efforts. And so there was a feud made. There was a promise made to say, "We're going to get you back." And they struck mm. and that the, the way they struck, which became the precipitating incident for World War One was actually retaliation for the Ottomans not allowing the, the Illuminati into their borders. That's crazy. I don't know how we, we is, skipped over that. This oh, is we why we need more days. than just. I know that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, we had two days. We're coming up on our maximum time limit. I got to stop talking. Go ahead. No, no, I think I think it's your go. Well, <laughs> I think you're right, man. Uh, but I, I guess this, you know, we've been talking what last couple of hours, three hours coming up on maximum time limit. I'm thinking, though, if anybody has found this useful, please do what you've been doing and share the show. Get this out because the algorithms aren't going to promote this. The algorithms are going to no, try. Not at all. I mean, Christopher, you and I went back and forth just over the title. You know, what do we name yeah. this? Do we actually state Israel or, or do we name it something else? Not because we're scared, but we know the algorithms are probably going to be looking for key phrases. And so one of the yeah. best ways that people can really help support is share this, get it out. You guys have been doing a phenomenal job. Please keep doing it. It helps. It helps our fellow brothers and sisters that need the information. It helps people that are too busy to do the research. It helps people that are willing to do the listening. 
have got the time, but mm-hmm. maybe don't have the information <laughs> at hand. Hey, share it. It's it's an easy thing to do, but it's a very big and impactful thing to do. Right, right. And if you've if you've already shared the show, which so many of you have, and you and you want to help participate more, consider joining our Patreon. Yes. So you can find us at our home site, orppodcast.com. But you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ORP podcast. So there's three tiers that you can get in on. The first one are cover fire, tier one operators for five bucks a month. And this can help fund the caffeine that we need for not sleeping for 48 hours to try to put episodes like this together. Yes, right. <laughs> but for that $5 a month, it gets you all the links and resources we use to put the episode together, as well as access to all of the full length versions of our episodes, any bonus episodes or ones that might've cut short and part of it behind a paywall. You get all of that stuff for five bucks a month. And then if you want some more, our tier two operators, Overwatch, seven bucks a month, gets you everything in tier one as well as access to the actual notes that we use while running the episode. We call them studio notes. And those are always fun. You know, a lot of times there's some some extra stuff in there and um, it's a cool backstage, like VIP access type, type of thing if that's what you're into. But the highest tier we offer at the moment Bring the Rain Operators, Tier 3, 10 bucks a month. It's you everything from Tiers 1 and 2, as well as an opportunity to participate in a monthly Zoom call with both Jason and I. Right now, and those man, are a blast. Oh, they're, they're dope, man. We, we've got another one scheduled, um, I think, uh, two weeks. Um, I want to say it is October uh, 29th. So actually, um, two weeks from the day we're recording this. We'll have our next one. And you were talking about uh, our the, the highest tier. We're considering creating a a fourth tier because we've had some uh, listeners and supporters get a hold of us and want to know if there was an op- if there was a way that they could contribute um, outside, you know, support the show outside of the the tier set that we have now. So we're thinking about doing a a producer's tier for those who really want to just find a way to financially support the way that they like. And uh, I think that'll be a $50 tier uh, for producer credit on the, uh, the episode and the show is what we're thinking about. So if that tickles your fancy, that's cool. Uh, If not, man, we just appreciate you all listening. We appreciate the time that you spend with us on a, on a weekly basis. We know three hours, two hours. I think we've had maybe a one hour, one and a half hour session once, but all that, yeah. all that time you guys spent with us, man, we, we super appreciate it. It's fun, man. We, we really look at you guys as our extended family and we appreciate all that time that you give us to spend with you in your lives, doing whatever you're doing, talking in your ear. You know, it's, it's not taken for granted at all. Right. Right. Well said, bro. Thanks, man. But here's the last thing that you can do. Remind yourself of what scripture tells us, which is, We are never alone and we're not out here fighting alone. God has promised to never leave us and we have a community of believers all over the world and a loving God who actually intervenes on our behalf. Because one day there will be no confusion. One day the intents and plans of the Lord will be fully known. We won't have to be guessing and trying to figure out. One day we will no longer be divided by the confusion 
but will be united by the person of truth himself, Jesus Christ. But until then, we are deployed to this dystopian rock by our savior in chief, the very one that's commissioned us on a seesaw. That's right. We're on a combat search and rescue mission here, people. And be advised, the hostages we're after are likely to be hostile towards us. But we still gotta go get them. Now our task and order is simple. We're gonna search for and rescue anyone that can be sympathetic to Christ, but is currently held hostage under Satan's deception. And make no mistake, we will be operating in a hostile environment, but the rules of engagement are clear. Listen up, if you take fire, we expect you to give fire. I need you to keep your head on a swivel out there. You stay frosty, stay faithful, and above all, stay in the fight. That means do not give up, because we're counting on you. You ain't alone out there. We're fighting right next to you, and we'll see you out there again fighting on the front line. 10-4.